Welcome to the worst of all possible worlds, the first and only podcast where everybody gets a good seat. Aww. I'm the worst of all possible Brian's. I'm the worst of all possible AJ's. <laughs> and I'm the worst of all possible Josh's. And today we are doing our first guest episode of the nascent year. Yeah! Uh, the nascent year? Nascent? Is that the right oh. word? Oh, <laughs> fucking no. Leave me alone. It's, the, it's not that it's necessarily the wrong word. It's just a very strange word. <laughs> oh, no. Look, I love it when my years are nascent. Look, we are we are joined today by a very special guest. Uh, he is the host of the fantastic podcast, The Original Cast, which reviews Broadway cast albums and uh, tracks the differences between those. It is Patrick Flynn. Say hey, Patrick. Hey, Patrick. I like to call them soundtracks. Where oh, so, do you oh, now? Well, oh. then you can you can you can come on my show and do that and deal with the Twitter outfit. <laughs> I'll yeah. take them all on. It I don't give a fuck. Oh, if you want to talk about what's the number one thing I edit out of the show besides ums and uhs, it is the soundtrack. word soundtrack. I can, I can look wow, at I can see wow. that waveform. I'm going to find so many clever ways to say I tracks of sound. Right oh, God, oh, man. Yeah. No. You just got just to gotta <laughs> bleep it out like it's a swear word on ABC. Yeah, Because well, I don't want to yeah. stop the flow, but also like I know yeah. who my listenership is. Of course. <laughs> no, yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> The last you thing fear we run, you have, yeah. oh, you have, to, you have to edit for cringe. Yeah, oh, you right. have to yeah, edit yeah, for yeah. cringe. We are so excited to have you here, Patrick, to talk about one of Josh's favorite Sondheim musicals, Company, because yes. one's impossible, two is dreary, three is company, and Safe I don't know what four theory. is, but there's four of us, so uh, Company oh, Plus. that's true. Company Plus One. It's a podcast. Oh, it's there we go. Four, is, four a is a podcast. There oh, it is. Yeah. I think we're all in agreement that this show rules. Yeah. Oh, yeah, I, no, for I, sure. It's a good show. Oh, uh, Steven Sondheim. Kid can write a tune. He's got a good future ahead of him, I think. Yeah. Not going to uh, Google. Right. So before we uh, dig into Company as a musical and specifically into the 2006 Broadway revival recording, which is what we're going to be using as our source material, mm-hmm. I'd love to hear from you, Patrick. Ooh, ooh, can I do Can I do one? Can I do one? Hey, Patrick, Uh-oh. how did Company come into your life? Excellent, AJ. Oh. Well done. Synergy. Um, <laughs> uh, so Company... Is a a fun one for me because Company went from a show that I had not seen at all to a show I have seen like up through my being 30 to up to Mm -hmm. a show that I have seen more than any other Sondheim show. Really? Okay. It it was it. it, I directed a production in in high school. In high school. I directed a production in college. (laughs) I want to see the high high school school production. Oh my gosh. It did, which got canceled because we lost our performance space. But oh um, Oh no. Yeah. Which, you know, it's the whole other thing. Outdoor Company would not be great. That's not, one of those ones you can't just no, like. No, very yeah. much an indoor show. I, I found this show when I was about 13 when I was okay. going through my big Broadway awakening um, after uh-huh. seeing Sondheim, A Celebration at Carnegie Hall on PBS. In spring, I'd imagine. In spring, absolutely, which is the only time I'd leave you. <laughs> it was right before there was like a, a one weekend concert of it in 93 with the original cast on Broadway. Yes. Which also, accompanying my Broadway awakening was reading the New York Times Arts and Leisure section. Oh, so, sure, sure. Every Sunday. <laughs> I was then suddenly aware that, oh, they're, they're, they're mounting a little concert of it. Like, oh, this is, you know, mm-hmm. and I loved, I'll be dead honest, I loved the poster for the original so much yes. i was just yeah, fascinated with what in the world could this show be about so i got the cast album and and devoured it and loved it and still sort of wondered what it was about which is what, <laughs> which is i think the job of a cast album really not to tell you what happens yeah. but to make you right. really interested in what happens then of course they just revived it and revived it and revived it i saw like signature theater down here did a production of it with actual married couples which we can talk about if you want to um <laughs> the mixed success so of, unnecessary the mixed success of that my, my mother-in-law 
Shaw did it in college in 71, like immediately after at LaSalle College. And my goodness. uh, And that cast had a reunion, which I saw, which includes uh, Anne Hathaway's parents was in that. (laughs) Which they both went to college with my mother-in-law. So that was sort of trippy. Wow. Yeah. And then I saw it. This community the theater did it. And I would just go see mm-hmm. it. You know, people wanted to see it. And then I saw the the most recent Broadway revival of it. We've done it twice on the podcast. It is one that I, I sort of eschewed. It's a big show. It's a big deal. People have a lot of opinions about it, including myself. Yeah. But then I had a, a guest on who, who wanted to do it. And it was the only show she wanted to do. And I said, great. And then we did mm. it. And then almost immediately after that, it feels immediately, it was probably like a year later, uh, I had the great Liz Calloway on my show. She wanted to do company and I'll, you know, whatever Liz Calloway wants, she gets. So we did, <laughs> absolutely <laughs> did company. That was super fascinating because for people, I mean, Liz Calloway is a, a Broadway performer and, and it still is a great vocalist and, um, uh, a lot, you know, entertainer, but she was in, for people who don't know, the original Broadway cast of Merrily We Roll Along, which is yeah. the other Stephen Sondheim, George Firth, Hal Prince musical that was you know 10 years later so she worked with these guys 10 years after company and hearing her talk about listening to the album and then doing that show and then (laughs) also it taking her a little while to figure out it was all the same people because you just don't think about that necessarily she was like yeah right Oh, and then so she got wigged out about it like later, like in rehearsal, like much later <laughs> in the process. Sure, sure, which sure. Is a yeah. Funny, like uh, way to go with it. So yeah, we, we've done it twice. It comes up all the time. I mean, it's just one sure, of the yeah. shows. It's a seminal show. Yeah, you know, it, it it is a real. There are there are not a lot of shows you can point to as like fulcrum points of yeah of an art form, and like Oklahoma's one and company is another. Well, and let's talk about that for a bit here because, you know, in the old days, I mean, I mean, music has always been a part of theater, right? Like, mm-hmm. that's the thing we forget about with Greek tragedies. Those choruses are yeah. actually singing and playing yes. instruments and things like yeah. that. All Shakespeare um, shows had songs in them. It's yep. like with music. Yeah, exactly. Even Hamlet, right? The yes. Gravedigger sings yep. and, you know, Ophelia yeah, sings and, you know, like, there's always music involved. In the 19th century, yeah. we get melodramas. They get all kinds of music. Mm-hmm. Operettas, obviously. And operettas, yeah. which... Yeah. Operettas are the progenitor to the American musical comedy. Yes. I mean, you want to talk about a long career. John Doyle has been directing theater since the ancient Greeks. I mean, this guy <laughs> casting yes. actors as musicians. Absolutely. What happens is we, we start to get this sort of vehicle for popular music. That's what musical comedies originally were. Yes. Mm-hmm. It was like yeah. Irving Berlin wrote some new songs. Let's put them on stage. Get Al Jolson or somebody right. to sing something that that's the nice new big hit and then Glorified we can sell a reviews, bunch of sheet music. Yeah. yeah. Like like the perfect the perfect example of like an old musical would be like Swing Time. Yes. Right? Where it's just mm-hmm. like some yeah. people whose names you won't remember right. meet each other, some stuff happens, there's a little bit of hijinks and then there's a blackface number and everyone feels really uncomfortable and then it's over. Like <laughs> <laughs> and then uh Oscar Hammerstein comes along and and for those who don't necessarily know musical theater, which will be a sizable part of our audience, mm-hmm. Oscar Hammerstein was a very experimental writer. Yeah. yeah. Like he was going into this form and bringing more of operetta into it and bringing more plots and bringing more thematic content with stuff like Showboat. Yeah. Uh, which mm-hmm. was a clumsy attempt to tackle racism or South Pacific, which was a clumsy attempt to tackle racism or slightly uh, less clumsy. But yes. Yeah. 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 <laughs> Still very clumsy. And Patrick, you had mentioned Oklahoma specifically. I'd be I'd be curious to yeah. hear sort of like what about that is such a, a fulcrum or a turning point for musical yeah. theater. So, I mean, it, it depends. I mean, people can go on Twitter and debate this all for the rest of their lives. And they, and will, they will about whether, <laughs> whether like wh- whether company was really the first 
plotless musical and whether blah, blah, blah. It doesn't fucking matter. Like it, it, right. it really, it is, these things are regarded as turning points because of their tremendous financial success. Like that is the big yeah. thing. That's like the show sure. was a hit and it was weird. So that becomes a thing. Showboat right. was sort of the first real effort, like the, the first thing that really recog like recognizably looks like a book, what we would now call a book musical with yes, integrated sure. songs into the plot in a, of a serious plot, you know, with with everything advancing that story. Um, and, and by integrated, we mean the songs are written the songs come for out of the, the story. Yes. The yeah. songs, for the most part, the scene goes on and then leads to a song. It's not like there's a sketch and then a song, which is what it was before, yeah. essentially. Yeah. Yeah. And, you know, some of those look remarkably like modern music theater, you know, Babes in mm -hmm. Arms and things like that. Rogers and Hart were doing a lot of things in that direction as well. But Oklahoma comes along. And for me, the thing that makes Oklahoma different and the thing that connects it to company is the revolution of the staging of it in addition to everything else. That before of a night of theater, you would go into one of these shows and the showboat starts this way and there's a huge number to open it up. And it's still the yeah. way we do it today for the most part. There's a big opening number. Like Hamilton starts with a big opening number called Alexander Hamilton about yeah, something yeah. Like that. And uh, they they sing this song at you that sort of gets you in the mood for the evening, either plot-wise or just tone-wise. That's an opening number. Oklahoma began with an empty stage, which had almost literally never been done before. And the yeah. song start, you know, oh, what a beautiful morning as Curly walks on the stage and sings this song. And it was just not just the fact that this, the songs were coming out of the scenes, that the action was integrated, that it was a full evening, but it was staged in a way that yeah. wasn't taking those musical comedy stylings into consideration. And company mm. is sort of the same thing. It's revolutionary in its subject matter to a certain extent, but the way the evening is assembled to sort of craft a different kind of musical, I think is it's true, like revolutionary status. The thing that makes it a fulcrum point that we can do other things with shows now. And well, and what's, what's interesting is that the way Sondheim tended to write about this too, is that they kind of saw it like it was a review. With yeah, a sketch yeah. and a song and a sketch yeah, yeah. and a song. But it's not done in that sort of very, very old school way. It's done with this this connective through line that's just not a plot anymore. Right. But yeah. there, it's like a, a thematic through line, which is why it gets called a concept musical. Exactly. So the way company started was George Firth was in therapy. Yeah. <laughs> um, he was a he was Sweet. an actor who was depressed. Mm -hmm. Big, big shock. What? Yeah. yeah. No. And uh, and he was sort of struggling with like relationships and like his relationships to people and their relationships. And uh -huh. on sort of the prompting of his psychiatrist, he started writing little short plays. And most of them start to have this like unifying theme of like there is a couple and there is their like single friend there. He bring he gets this to Hal Prince <laughs> and he and Hal Prince are working on this for a while. And Prince is like, you know what? And this is not the last time he does this. You know what would be a good idea for, for this this play of yours? What if I just hand it to Stephen Sondheim? Yeah. <laughs> what if hand idea. it to one of the most interesting composers living today? And we see what happens. And Sondheim was not totally on board yet, but he was trying to get the girls upstairs, which later became Follies, his hmm. sort of murder mystery uh, who will do it white lotus type thing uh, sure. off the ground with James Goldman and so they they cut a deal where it's like okay I will do this first and then when this plays 
we work on the girls upstairs. I mean, these were 11 one-act plays that they mushed kind of together, and they made a musical that a lot of people consider plotless, and I don't I don't know. I think there's a plot here. There's a lot of plot here. There's a, there's lot, a lot of, of plot, plot here. It's just, it's not overt, really, with its plot. Well, that's yeah. the thing. If you, if you go in expecting there to be a plot, it's plotless. Sure. Right. Mm-hmm. You know what I mean? Like it, it but like that's the people used to call, say that uh, hair has no plot and hair has a very clear plot. It's, <laughs> yeah, just, yeah. Yeah. it's just not important. You know what I mean? Like it's not, mm-hmm. it is important, but it's not, it's not the thing binding everything together. Yeah. You know, well, it's well, not, it's not point A, point B, point exactly. C, point it's not, D. We're yeah. not following the arc of the plot. We are following yeah. the characters and companies exactly the same way. We are following mm-hmm. mainly one character as he mm-hmm. wanders into various apartments. We talk mm-hmm. a fair bit on this show about narratives in the way that when you bring something that is truly new into uh, the narrative landscape, people initially oftentimes don't quite know how to react. Yeah. And then as the thing becomes more and more a part of the landscape, they end up reshaping the way that they engage with narratives. And they're not always necessarily even conscious of that fact. Like mm-hmm. company is and, and we'll we'll start talking a bit about how the show actually unfolds. Yeah. It is a show that narratively now is not I don't think part it's not particularly surprising anymore. But, mm-hmm. you know, sure, 50 yeah. years ago, it was doing so many new things. And I think the interesting thing about this 2006 revival that we're going to talk about is how it still managed to manages to make some of those choices feel fresh once more. According to Sondheim, you know, in Finishing the Hat, which is one of the great books on theater, uh, I recommend getting Finishing the Hat. Look, I made yes, a hat. It's like 100%. you will learn so much about art uh, yeah. beyond the theater. But also if you're writing a musical, it's like a how to guide, basically. Even if you don't care about lyric writing or theater or musicals or anything like that, it's it's a yeah, great show construction. Great piece. Is a, yeah. It's incredible. Absolutely incredible yeah. piece of work. Um, yeah. But, you know, sometimes sometimes one of his big things is that he will always go to the mat for his collaborators. And, you know, mm-hmm. my, uh, you know, get this out of the way at the top. I think the book for company is kind of garbage for most of the run. There are a couple <laughs> of moments that I'm like, yes, 100 percent. This is cooking with gas. But for every one of that, there's a karate scene. Oh, AJ. I know, yeah, I know. I disagree. I, I disagree. disagree. Oh, hang on, hang on, hang on. Okay, okay, okay. There's a lot of scenes in this show you could point to and be yeah. like, that is garbage. Yeah. And I would have a hard time arguing with you. But the karate scene, it's like... Sondheim went to the mat for his book writers, right? Yes. Like, yes. if anyone was just like, your music is great, you could cut the whole book. He's like, absolutely not. Yeah. My music would be nothing without the book writers. Yes. He said one of the biggest challenges in Finishing the Hat of writing Company was that he thought that George Firth's dialogue was, quote, sharp, fast, and witty, but self-sufficient. It not only didn't lead naturally into song, it virtually precluded it. And I think that's so interesting because the music and the dialogue are so of a piece in this thing it almost mm-hmm. feels like they're written by the same person and Sondheim notoriously said he's a great mimic like he could listen yeah. to like the ear of dialogue and get and like and put that into his words but like in company it's amazing how well the pieces fit together and the interesting thing is like most of the time his process was cannibalizing something taking yeah. something from the script and turning it into a song that was the normal thing and I don't think that's the case with company I think mm. a lot of that was right finding ways to get people singing that weren't already expressed somewhere sure. in these scenes. Which is why I think unlike most Sondheim musicals, the songs really comment on the scene instead yeah. of are part mm-hmm. of the scene. So the show starts with our protagonist, Bobby, standing alone on the stage and the chorus 
which in this case is upstage, is singing his name, repeating it over and over again. Bobby, Bobby, Bobby. In the original production, it's his answering machine. It's already like we're in a comedy now. Like this is going to be kind of silly and fun. The way John Doyle directs it. Is it it's more ethereal. It's it's kind of um, there's no instrumentation here at the beginning. It is just acapella voices. Yeah. um, Harmony and disharmony. And we're in a mass. And it's like his outgoing answering machine message. Back when we used to change those things. Right. Yeah. Um, like, I don't even know what my know voicemail how. sounds like. I don't know how to do it. <laughs> Everybody is leaving Bobby messages on his yeah. answering machine. Yes. Yeah, it's his birthday. Yeah. yeah. He's 35. Hey, happy birthday. Right. And there's uh, going to be a surprise birthday party for him. <laughs> like, we get little glimpses as to who these characters are. Right. An incredibly idiosyncratic way to open a show. And again, like, to Oklahoma tie it in for a second, he is alone. Mm-hmm. On stage, yeah, yeah. Like yeah. In the Doyle production. There, because the orchestra is the actors, they are around, but it is. Yeah, they don't leave the stage. Usually, when you see this, <laughs> yeah. he comes into the apartment and he's alone, and that's yeah. sort right. of the way we're going to kick it off here. And the way yeah. the original production worked too, it was this gigantic Boris Aronson set yes. where he's like surrounded by scaffolds, yes, you know, like skyscraper size things. And they ask him to blow out his candle and make a wish, but mm-hmm. he can't do it. He right. can't blow yep. out that dang candle. The way that John Doyle stages this. In the way that it interacts with the sets, the costuming, the lighting, pretty quickly establishes what the rules are for this production. Bobby's apartment itself is a, a it's a box, right? It's it's like designed yeah, it's just fully square. Square. Yeah. <laughs> um, there is a very impressive Roman column that is like upstage left a bit that's that, surrounded by a circular radiator. And if you think it's a penis. It is. It, it is, is in fact a penis. They call it out later in the show. It is a penis. Once you step outside of the area that represents the apartment, that is where all of the actors are. They perch on chairs so that they can sit there and play their instruments. But generally speaking, they remain unlit unless they are talking. Right. And so the rules of the production are basically if you are outside of that box, you are not there in physical space. You you represent yeah. A voice that is mostly in Bobby's mind or as a voicemail or something like that. The moment that you step into the space, you are now there with him. You are physically present in space with Bobby. And your tolerance for this concept and the way that they don't really look at each other, but instead sort of look at mutual focal points will probably have a lot to do with how much forensics you did in high school. (laughs) (laughs) Because let me tell you, if you did forensics in high school, this is the production for you. It's worth noting like who John Doyle, the director, is and like where his career came from. Good little Scottish Presbyterian boy who's been directing since the ancient Greeks. Yeah, he, he's been around for a long time and he, played, he was working in small theaters and was trying to work around some cost cutting measures. And yeah. one thing in the UK is that for people who are in the orchestra, they actually get paid more than the actors. Right. And John Doyle was doing some shows and took a cue from Tommy and other rock musicals where you had a band on stage 
yeah. uh, as part of the show. And he thought, well, what if we could get the actors to play instruments? So he did this yeah. with Sweeney Todd, which was very successful in the UK, and he brought it to Broadway. Mm-hmm. And Sweeney Todd is all people doing that forensics thing. No one is doing eye contact at all, except for, I think, Sweeney and Mrs. Lovett in very, very select moments in that show. In this production, the actual staging and styling of it, you know, it's either going to work for you or it's not. Right. But yeah. in terms of being able to follow the line of action and understand what's going on, the production design choices, particularly with lighting, really help you follow yeah. things at all times. I yeah, think. yeah. And so I think that this is probably Doyle's most successful excavation of a Sondheim work. Certainly better than the Pacific Overtures that Brian and I saw together. Oh, at- sweet oh, Jesus. Wow. <laughs> oh, boy. Yeah, I, well, what's funny to me about Company as a show that's staged is that every production I've seen, and this includes the original, which I did not see. Obviously I wasn't alive yet, but yeah. mm. it, it seems to be that it has a very clear set concept because it's so ethereal and mm-hmm. yeah. has to flow. I mean, the best thing about the video that we watched is that Lonnie Price and in his infinite wisdom, and it's a very smart idea, just like they did with the Hamilton pro shot, they mm. cut out all of the applause except for the two applause breaks you need. Yeah. Right. And it really keeps the rhythm of the script moving. That scene, the song is over, the scene begins. Like that is the way yeah. it should it should work if you're not live in, in the room. But so like yeah. the original production we said had this very steel and chrome, it had an elevator. It was very like late 60s urban feel to it. This is all clear glass plastic cubes. Like that's yes. the big yeah. motif in this design. The most recent Broadway revival was Doors. There were everything had doors in and out, different sizes, yep. had an Alice in Wonderland vibe to it, which I thought was phenomenal. But it was all yeah. doors. Doors was the big set piece from that. Bobby's always coming in and out of doors. The production I saw at Signature down here in um, in Virginia um, was all directed by, I think Eric Schaefer directed that, was, um, was all white. The whole set was white. And like all the mm. furniture was white and 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 it, it just gave it this sort of other like kind of canvassy sense to it. So mm-hmm. it didn't feel real. The the moment the glass cubes worked perfectly was when April's walking around the apartment <laughs> and being like, mm-hmm. oh, I love this. Yeah. This yeah, is and great. Yeah. You know, and, and it's it was nothing. A, it's it's, it's nothing. an absence of a thing. Yeah. As Bobby fails to blow out his candles right. on his birthday, everyone Loser. is telling bye him. Bye. Everyone's telling him about like his, you know, what wish should you make? And they're all kind of saying the same thing. But differently, like they're not reacting to each other. Their lines are like happening sort of in parallel universes. Like he's imagining what each person would say about making a wish and blowing out the candles. He still gets his wish. He does. It must be a new room. Sure you do. Don't believe a word of it. Of course you do. Oh, I know it. I will. Actually, I didn't wish for anything. He's kidding. You gotta be kidding. Anyway, don't tell it. Tell it if it's dirty. They say you're not supposed to tell it. Paul's right. Don't tell. Anyway, Robert, you're in your prime. 35. Mary, hush. You don't tell a person's age in our ages. Bobby. Bobby. Bobby, baby. Bobby, baby. Robbie. Robert, darling. Bobby, we've been trying to call Bobby, you. Baby. Bobby, baby. Angel, I've got something to tell Bobby, you. Bobby, honey. Bobby, we've been trying to reach Bobby, you all. This song is, you know, it's just it's just full energy, right? Yep. And oh, this yeah. this shows like how how the music is going to be working going forward. The music is when everyone shows up again. Mm-hmm. And they're not all together like they are in this party. They are simply singing their side of something together with each other in a way that's not concrete, not physical. And so we have all of these people 
not singing as themselves as members of a party. They are or members of a party uh, as guests at a party. It's not a political party. The communist um, party. But they are <laughs> yeah. saying it as people party. calling Bobby. Right are you now or have Bobby? You ever how are you doing? Could you come over? Could you babysit the kids? It's not driving him insane. He's just saying, this is my life. Hanging out with my friends. Rings, door chimes, in comes company. No strings, good times, room hums company. Late nights, quick bites, party games, deep talks, long walks, telephone calls. Thought shared souls, bared private names, all those photos up on the wall. None of these couples know each other. Not yeah. at that all. They, uh, that Bobby is just a part of like several different friend groups and never thought to integrate them. Like mm-hmm. there's never. They, they know each other enough to like arrange this surprise birthday party and that's right. it. See, that's right. why I stress that it's not important that that's real or not. To me. Right. <laughs> right. 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 It, it is not important. Like once, Because once you start to drill down on who called Joanne and Larry to get them to come over, like the two yeah. Yeah. Uh, the hardest people to get hole. Amy was on her honeymoon IBDB goofs. Who curates that? Satan? Actually, Ben Brantley. You would never oh, like yeah. it. Oh, uh, he has a lot of free time. A lot of free now. time these days. Uh, That's where we'll throw Jesse Green whenever we get rid of him. There we go. Oh, there we go. Yeah, and then all oh. the goofs will be there was a minority on stage. <laughs> <laughs> It is important to drill down. Like, this is not a group of friends and Bobby. This is seven different, or however, six different couples who have a mutual friend who is Bobby. Yeah. And they all make demands of him. Like, that's the nature of the relationships here is that Bobby goes and hangs out with them. And in return, they get him to do stuff, basically. Like, it's it's, it's, much, yeah. He's he's their way of like holding on to their youth, right? Or their like previous life of being single, not having kids or whatever. Which is a thing. I don't have any friends like, like, I don't have any single friends I keep around to remind me of what it was like to be single. (laughs) But I have, I have seen this occur in in other married friends where they have this friend who is like clearly the one who they like gets them weed. And yeah. like mm-hmm. babysits the kids occasionally and also like tells them wild stories about their and they sort of clearly encourage bad behavior. That's always the funny like when, yeah. when they're at a mutual party and they're like, tell them about the time you did this. You should do that again. I'm like, no, they shouldn't. That was a terrible <laughs> yeah. story. Like, I don't know. <laughs> you know, another really important key feature of this opening number is that there is an incredibly long note in the middle yes. of yes. this song. Yes. Just this word Good. love. It's not Good. even like a, it's not the last note of the song. It's right. in the middle of this phrase and it goes on, especially in the original production, 40 seconds. 40 seconds. What? This note goes on. Good 
good note. Uh, and they obviously they do like take turns breathing, so it's not like one person yes. holding. I mean, some right. people it's a whole, it's a whole group of people. Yeah. 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 Uh, and the reason this was done was because the set was so big, it took 40 seconds to get everybody off the platforms and downstage center, yeah. and it also they also had out. elevators. They had yeah. to right. ride the elevators. Ride so down. that's how long it took for them to lower down oh, on the elevators. That's awesome. So the whole time you're sitting there like enormous physical production. Yeah, you're thinking like dramaturgically speaking, right? Love is the thing that Bobby doesn't have, right? It's the big over like arching like cloud that hangs over his life. So you want to make it long and like really hammer it in. No, no, it no. was a cue. It just it was just a very practical cue to get I these people that. downstage. And that's oh, why I love, I love reading about like the making of theater. Yeah. But that's the thing. Exactly right. I love love things like that in theater because you only get that in live theater it's Absolutely. like yeah. why yeah. is there a song here this doesn't seem to make sense well because we had to change the set so like, yeah, yeah there's a costume change that took a little <laughs> too really long true. backstage like, I, that's what you get out of theater especially musical theater yeah. where it's like yeah, the song's yeah. here because we needed a costume change we needed a break we just, I just love stuff like that so much so, yeah, so right. now we see Bobby hanging out with his friends, Harry and Sarah. Yes. This is a, our first real introduction into like what this show is going to be, what these inter, what these scenes are going to be like. And it's very passive aggressive. Welcome to the People's Court. Prosecution, AJ, you have two minutes yeah. to explain. Yeah. Okay. 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 Here's the thing. <laughs> I think out of all the scenes you could have chosen in the show, this is the weakest one to lead with. Um, but but I think it's particularly bad in this revival because the guy who plays Harry is fine. Like, I think he's a good singer and I think he can play instruments well. And I think he does the physical comedy of the karate pretty well. But in terms of like the I pace does of very the scene well. yeah, I agree. and making the dialogue work, it all feels a little bit breezy and not like he's he's actually acting in the scene. So it also does that thing that I, I get annoyed at a lot when you read a playwright's work, especially in a, an early playwright, where the problem with the script is shoved forward into dialogue and then it's just never addressed. She keeps saying, you ask a lot of questions, Bobby, just over and mm -hmm. over and yeah. over again. Like, yeah. you know, George, you could change that if you wanted I, to. I, I think that's something that maybe it's more of a directorial problem because that's that's the fun of the scene is how much meaner she keeps getting to Bobby. Oh, you keep asking questions, don't you? Yeah. Oh, yeah. you're still mm -hmm. doing it. You're still yep, asking yep, questions. Yep. Who asked that? Oh, it was Robert. Yeah. Robert, once again, there there is a building tension there with those questions constantly coming like that. Harry and Sarah have just a lot of tension. Their whole fucking marriage is just this gross, simmering, weird tension because <laughs> Harry is a recovering alcoholic, except probably actually not. He probably still has he's his drinking still habit. Drinking. He's, still yeah. he's still drinking and he's pretending that he's not. And uh, Sarah has an unhealthy relationship with uh, food and diets and stuff like that. So they just are constantly sniping at each other about their habits. And it's really, I think if you calibrate it correctly, it's really kind of gives you a feeling of, oh, this is gross. I don't like this. Whereas mm. in this production, there's something where it's just like, is this supposed to be funny? Am I supposed to be laughing? Am I supposed to be like, it doesn't quite nail the tone, I think. But I'd also just like to talk more broadly about like, yeah, what is the what is the function of this? Like, how does this set us up, you know, for what's going to be happening in the rest of the show? I think this is the least successfully shot scene of this pro shot. Oh, because interesting. The best version of this scene I've ever seen was at the signature production, which was a real all, like I say, all married couples. And it was two <laughs> friends of mine, Evan Casey and, and Tracy Oliveira, who are both phenomenal performers and who really Amazing. got the comedy of this. Yeah. And like and, and the fact that so much of the comedy of this comes from the fact that on one side of the stage is Harry, on the other side is Sarah, and they are pulling Bobby in two separate directions. 
and mm. you just can't shoot that. You know what I mean? Like it mm. is really, he's standing over by the drink cart. She's over by the food and they're constantly like, you know, ping ponging his attention. The other thing about it mm. is this is the hardest scene to like, it's important to decide in this show, each of these married couples, does their relationship work as a director and as a, as actors? You have to decide, mm -hmm. is this a good relationship or a bad one? And then you have to perform and direct the scene according to that. And in most productions I've seen, this one has always got the tone on it that actually this is a good relationship. This marriage works. Mm. They yeah. are under tremendous pressure that they put each other under. Yeah. And, you know, Harry has a, has a drinking problem for certain. And Sarah has an eating disorder probably, but right. they do honestly at the end of the day care about each other. And that comes from the end of the scene, which makes it very hard to, when he, she says, he says, I'll turn the lights off. She says, I do. I always do. And then says, I love you as she leaves the room. Right. In this version, when she says, I love you, it sounded like I hate you. But I think you yep. start with this scene because it is the, it is the most traditional comedy sketch scene in the entire show. It is two people. Mm -hmm. They have very easy to understand problems. And then they end, <laughs> ends in a fight. You know, it ends in a physical, a physical fight. The they stage. are, they are yeah. grappling with each other. They, they are, are doing karate oh, moves. Yeah. And, in, yeah. and in this production, this is the only production where they don't actually fight. Like every other one I've seen, yeah. the two actors like clear the stage and go to town on right. each other. And right, in, right. in the original production, they were all dancers too. There was a lot more yes, dancing a lot in the more original dancing production. And of, a lot more coordinated movement. And you had, you know, young Charles Kimbrough and, and Barbara Barry like flipping each other around. This is the main point where John Doyle does his forensics thing. He yes. does this like yes. abstract thing. And I, I think it's it's quite a lot of fun, but it's not shot well. Because what they're doing is they are fighting with each other, but they are both miming their sides on opposite ends of the stage. Yeah. And it's yeah. really good physical comedy, honestly. Yes. Like the yes. way they hold their jaw they push oh, each other. Oh, it really looks like their oh, faces yeah. are being pushed. Oh, yeah. I don't know I'm how they did say that. Lines. Yeah, this, like, yeah, this scene, the, the counterpoint here is while they are doing the karate moves, we have Joanne, originally the Elaine Stritch character, come yes. out and she is saying the little things you do together. It's the little things you do together, do together, do together, that make perfect relationships, the hobbies you pursue together, savings you accrue together, looks you misconstrue together, that make Marriage a joy. It still is. Every production of this has been an Elaine Stritch shadow. Like it yeah. really needs yeah. to be set. <laughs> yeah, in yeah, the yeah, way yeah. That, that they do the actor musician concept here, she's playing the triangle, except it's not a triangle. She has a little awesome. baton and she's playing her glass, which is just perfect. From Joanne's perspective, she being the somewhat elderly, you know, she's not elderly, but she's going into her 50s, right? Mm -hmm. And so she's got a lot of bitterness in her past for her marriage is mostly just a series of being pissed off with people for different reasons. Yeah. yeah. She's yeah. someone who has been married three or four times, as yes. the lyric says. So we move on from that into Bobby is alone with Harry and he asks him just a right. simple question. Are you ever sorry, sorry you that got you got married? And Harry says, you're always sorry. You're always sorry. You're always grateful. You're always wondering what might have been Then she walks in And still you're sorry And still you're grateful And still you wonder And still you doubt And she goes out Everything's different 
nothing's changed only maybe slightly rearranged Your- the sondheim had never been married up to this point as he liked to say either officially or unofficially since he was gay. <laughs> i had never been married either officially or unofficially when i wrote company i thought how am i going to write about something i know nothing about i've observed marriages and i have feelings and opinions and insights, but I don't know anything about it. So I called my good friend, Mary Rogers, who was on her second marriage. And she spent an evening with me and she told me about her marriages and about her observations on marriage. And I took a yellow pad out and I took notes exactly as if it were a lecture. And company is a result of that evening. What I like about the song and what has grown for me with the song, because I find this song very sweet. Now, mm-hmm. yeah. I didn't find it sweet before. I found it kind of ironic when I was younger, but I find it very yeah. sweet now. And what I like about it is the fact that like the whole tone of it is sort of like, that's the wrong question. Like it mm. doesn't, the the show at its best takes the idea of viewing marriage as a binary. It's like you're married or you're not as yeah. the wrong thing. It's not that you're married or you're not. It, it's not that. It It, it is a whole other level it's a relationship with another person you are sharing you are pledging out loud in public to share your life with somebody else and you don't have to do that in order to share your life with somebody else but there is something very public about that and very like we're doing it that when you like if it falls apart and you have to go like we're not doing it anymore there is a certain amount of like shame attached to that like public shame i think for people Hmm. and the stakes of that can be incredibly high But for me, I never had any worry about that. I was never commitment phobe. I was never that kind of person. So like when I got, my wife and I got together when we were 21, we got married when we were 25 and have been married ever since and have, and have three, three children together and and all that. But it is the, like, you, you simply become a unit. You know, you are, we, we are Patrick and Kelly. That's who we are. And we're also Patrick and Kelly, you know, without the ampersand and Kelly. But yeah. our identities are inexorably linked together. So asking if I'm ever sorry I got married, I mean, the answer is absolutely not. Right. But it is like it's not all wine and roses either at the same time. But I feel like I li- the thing I like about this song is that it sort of presents the question as unanswerable. It doesn't matter. Yeah. Like that's, yeah. that's yeah. the that's a dumb question <laughs> without saying that's a dumb question. It's sort of just like <laughs> who who I don't know. It's nothing to do with all to do with her. You're sorry, grateful, regretful, I look for answers when none occur. You'll always be what you always were, which has nothing to do with all to do with her. That's the right answer. That's the best lyric in the song to me. Yeah, I agree. It has nothing to do with her. It has everything to do with her at the exact same time. And this, this also frames up what is going to be an important question throughout this show is like, to what extent does your own individual identity get subsumed in that of the relationship, yeah. right? And sure. the short answer is it depends. Mm-hmm. Like there, there there are a lot of different kinds of marriages as well. Um, you know, right. for me personally, I'm the kind of person who just needs a great deal of independence and solitude. So like mm. but, but but that doesn't that doesn't preclude one from being in a relationship, from being married either. It just means the terms of what that thing is is going to be different. And so right. 
the thing that I identified with about this song is how, yeah, like if you are like me, the kind of person who just really oftentimes needs to be not alone, but to, to be able to drive one's own way of doing things. There are times where mm-hmm. it can be frustrating not being able to do that in the same way because of the fact that there is somebody else who you are who, who you're beholden to, who you need to work, th- work on things with. But at the same time, you get so many joys out of those moments of connection. I also find this song and particularly that line that you mentioned, Patrick, to be really accurate to the experience. It, it's something that that strings through Sondheim's work for me. One of the things that connects his audience with him and makes him somebody that we love, I think is how much he bleeds through into everything he writes. So when he tries to be ironic, he can't help but be sentimental. It's just yeah. like how Sunday in the Park with George, he insists, is not autobiographical. But it's a musical <laughs> about creativity from the, one of the most creative people I've ever met. Of course he's in there, like somewhere. It's yeah. just not the Stephen Sondheim story. It is, but he's definitely in the mix in all those songs. And you can feel that. Yeah. That scene Absolutely. in act two, where he drags Bernadette Peters to all the escape rooms in New York, you start to think, <laughs> I start to think this might actually be this about actually be like what it's like to be. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> uh, so the next scene then that we get after sorry, grateful is uh, a scene with Peter and Susan. They have a nice terrace on the East river they and do. Um, Peter's a hmm. little uh, effeminate. He's, he's, he's very effeminate. The version that is in the most recent revival that Brian and I saw, uh, the where the gender Bobby is, is yeah. played by a, a female yeah. identifying performer. Those are the original 1970s scenes. Are they really? They oh, are. Those scenes were then rewritten later, which okay. are the more common version of the version you see in this one. It was also in the 96, the roundabout the theater production, the, the, the Boyd Gaines revival. They were rewritten for that. They were right. tweaked mm. continuously. Bobby's talking to them. And he says, you know, oh, you know, th- this one's a keeper. You know, right. if you're ever leaving her, let me know. And they say, it's well, we're, we're letting you know. I'll tell you what, uh, Jeff Firth. <laughs> excellent job. I mean, excellent, <laughs> excellent job. Really, no no irony of being like, because it's such a nothing yeah. comment to say, like, if you ever get divorced, I want to be the first to know, which is a dumb <laughs> thing you say to somebody. And Herb goes, yeah, well, you're the first to know. <laughs> and there's also something interesting, too, in the way that Peter answers this, where it is clear now already that Peter has some interest in yeah. Bobby, right? It's oh, like, yeah, yeah you, you, you want to yeah. know? I'm, I'm, mm-hmm. I'm available again, my guy. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Um, uh, so, also, the read on we're getting a divorce here is just heavenly. Yeah. I, I just, yeah. I, oh, that's Southern just, Like, it's a big, oh, my a big announcement. Like, we're having a baby. Oh, we're gosh. getting a divorce. It's like yeah. a gender reveal. She <laughs> does. Amy Justman, uh, who plays Susan, God, yeah. she knocks it out of the park. I love yeah. Yeah. Like, that is a tough part in, yeah. in a lot of ways because you have very little to say and you almost never sing. So yeah, like that's right. a very small part and she yeah. just knocks it out of the goddamn park. I love it so much. I mean, the trickiest thing about any production of company is differentiating the couples, right? And yes. figuring out a way to like make, make certain couples pop or like what, what is it going to be this yeah, couple beyond thing. the fact that she just has an accent. Yeah, <laughs> she does. She does. Yeah. She's a Southern belle. You, you on, on your podcast, you talk a lot about poster design and how that's a thing that's very yes. interested. You're very interested in. It is such a amazing poster design that every production since has been chasing and just simply cannot live up to because it's perfect. It's absolutely perfect. You know, as you say, like posters yeah. can really reveal a lot about like what the priorities of a production are. And this this one, the 2006 revivals poster is just a bunch of cubes that spell company and then Raul Esparza standing on one of those cubes because right. I think this show is ultimately like the Raul Esparza show. Oh, he cares. He's on stage percent. for the whole oh, time. Yeah, yeah, um, yeah. Even after everybody leaves at the end, like it's just him standing mm-hmm. there. Yep. So I think it would behoove us at this point to 
talk a little bit about Raul and his performance in this. It's interesting, right? Because at this point in the show, he hasn't been given that much to do yet. He just kind of sits there and listens. There's like there's little things that he's already starting to kind of build into and you see it in company. You can see like the suave like mm. you understand why this guy gets invited to a lot of parties, right? Sure. And a thing that he talks about with this process in this is just like you know, I learned so much acting in this thing because it was just about listening to other people and making them look good. Because he's so used to showboating, right? He did Merrily yeah. where he played He played Charlie. He sang, he sings Franklin Shepard Inc. Yeah. I saw it at the Kennedy Center. It stopped the show. I mean, I've never, I have seen two Two, two times in my life, I have seen a professional production number actually stop a show. And oh. both times it was transcendent. And it was really like, it's a song I know, Franklin Shepard Inc. I know it very yeah. well. It's a patter song and it's fun, but there is something about the way he built the, the energy to absolute panic that yeah. was just electrifying. I mean, it really was. It, it, I cannot yeah. overstate how incredible it was to watch him do it. But this is the show to me that proves he's a phenomenal actor because like you yeah. say, he got right away the thing that all the bad Bobbies I've ever seen in my entire life have not gotten, which is that this part is a listening part and yeah. almost nothing else until act two. Yep. Yeah. And yeah. he, it is the hardest thing in the world to do as an actor to listen and not yeah. draw focus, but, and, but also stay alive so that every time I check in with you over there, you're still in it. Like, I don't feel yeah. you, mm -hmm. you've drifted away and he really gets it. He gets the assignment in this in a serious way, in a way that I, I no no shade, no tea, no, no tea, no shade, no pink lemonade, but Katrina Link really didn't have that in her mm. quiver. Mm. And, well, and I feel like yeah. so much of that was in, in the production of that revival. Josh, you you would have, I think, hated the I'm new sure company it was revival Marianne because Elliot, right? you, like, you, you, you tend to hate British things and it's very British. <laughs> I mean, um, I hate British productions of American shows, generally. Yeah. What, yeah. 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 yeah, yeah, yeah. Oh. Even though you like this one. Well, yeah, but I it's guess an American true. production. The production with Katrina Lank leaned more into this sitcom sensibility yes. that I think, I think the original production must have had because people do talk about that a bit and that's why they cast someone like Dean Jones who was like a star of live action Disney movies and that's something they leaned into with the Kennedy Center concert with Neil Patrick Harris yeah. very much so Lincoln Center I think a lot of people see what like the 90s production did what this John Doyle production did and they say well we want to restore that original idea the right. idea of the original show we want it to be a sitcom we want the lightness and there is stuff that comes out of that there mm -hmm. is stuff that comes out of making it breezier, making it play more for the individual laughs. And I think this show is all the better for not playing into any of those instincts at all. Yeah. Well, we really <laughs> see this pretty aggressively in the next scene uh, with David and Jenny, our next couple. Mm -hmm. uh, Bobby gets high with them. Uh, Jenny's <laughs> high for the first time. You know, she starts cussing, which is new and exciting for her. Barely cussing, too, I would like to say. <laughs> You could do uh, all of her swears she says in this show. You could absolutely say on network television. Absolutely. Like, yeah, absolutely. Yeah. yeah. Um, but this is one of those two where you could, if you wanted, play this scene as like that 70s show. Right. Like, mm -hmm. oh, we're so high. And oh, yeah. they choose not to do that. And, and Esparza in particular gets a little giggly, but he's still a little wry. He's still a little detached. He's clearly used to being high. 
And mm-hmm. so I think the way that the scene unfolds is really interesting. By having a production that is, it's like a requiem, right? The whole thing feels like uh, a song for a for a dying youth, right? That this feels like, even within requiems, there are moments of like unab- unabashed joy. And that's what this scene feels like to me. So much of the language is dated at this point. That like it always feels like it just has to kind of be a period piece. It can be like this this tone and this feel and this vibe. Yeah, you you don't have to aggressively push the modernization of company every time you put it up. Like people can read it and understand that it's coming from a different era. And it seems like there there is sort of that conflict that like it's the actors wanting to make it a little bit more modern, but like catching on lines like you know oh it's grass you know and i yeah. feel potted and that kind I'm of stuff. potted yeah, yeah. yeah. I, love, I love i love getting high and talking about how potted i am company yeah. is so in new york city 1969 on the upper east side like that's where it lives every time you try to modernize it you stumble like even from the beginning the the least successful moment of the most recent revival to me is the fact that Katrina Link is checking her voicemails on her phone. Yes. Like oh, that's sure. anything anybody does. You know, like it's not people don't <laughs> yeah. leave voicemails, let alone check them. That doesn't work. But it's 1970 and I have an answering machine that yep. makes mm-hmm. perfect sense. And this scene yep. is an excellent example of that where a couple, a square couple getting their single friend to score them some weed so they yes. can get high, which is what mm-hmm. all the kids are doing or actually yep. what all the kids were doing three years ago. You you know, like right, right. perfect is absolutely mm-hmm. a perfect scene. It plays perfectly. It makes perfect sense in 1969. Right now. This, so this scene, AJ, is the scene I hate. Oh, I do not like this scene. I, the only time I've seen this scene, this scene, by the way, when I saw the, the production of Signature with all married couples, this scene was profoundly uncomfortable knowing that the two <laughs> actors were married in real life. I was like, well, this marriage sucks shit. And I think you're both really nice people. And this is fucking weird. Like to watch you guys like hate each other for a minute, like don't like it, can't stand it. Not not working for me. This is the scene to me that always like is is the best example of stop modernizing company. I want to see if I ever get the chance to stage it again or if I go, I want to see, I want to see the dumb pants. I want to see the dumb hair and I want to show you that the show is timeless, but that means I can set it whenever. And you will be shocked how relevant it is 50 years later if I stick it in 1970 instead of now. It's not like people think that audiences are like scared of seeing clothes from the 70s and it's so bizarre to me. And it's not. People love period shit. Mad men. Again, they're trying to capture the original feeling and you can't. It was made 50 years ago. The original feeling is gone. You have to make new feelings. That's what theater is. (laughs) And I still think because it's theater, I still think I could because I also thought it was very successful in the the gender reversal in terms of the book. Mm I think you could set it 50 years ago and and switch the genders. Would, would it be Absolutely. more? Absolutely. Unre- you know, would it be a little bit like, well, women in the 60s and blah, blah, blah. I don't care. It's a show. I'm the, watching right. a show. You know, like the gender the politics yeah. are some of the least interesting parts of the show. And that's that's the one issue I see that mm. I saw with like flipping the gender around is when they tried to emphasize it at all. It was like, yeah, well, this is still kind of dumb. Right. <laughs> right. Because not it's the not, part I care about. It's not really contemporary. Like the no. things that do ground it are moments like later on in the scene. When Bobby just straight up tells Jenny, you're the girl I should have married. Fucking weird, dude. That's weird. Yeah. That's weird behavior. And not the last time he's going to do that. No. No. Because this is what we come to learn about Bobby then is that he is just a he is lonely as hell. There is a part of him that is broken because he always wants to be wanted. That's his biggest thing. He wants to be somebody's support. He wants to be somebody's special someone or whatever. But he, he clearly 
doesn't like he's creating these infatuated versions of these of these yeah. girls in his mind, which we see more explicitly later on. Yeah. And so all we get from him instead is, well, he's having some fun. He's got three ladies. Uh, those ladies, uh, a flight attendant. Again, flight attendant, not a joke anymore. Like that's yeah. only a joke in 1970. That is not a joke. Yeah. now. Like the fact yeah. that she's a flight attendant yeah, yeah. is super important in the 70s and nothing now. Anyway, sorry. Absolutely. Yeah, yeah, yeah. No, you're, Absolutely. you're completely right. Yeah. We also get another woman named Kathy, as well as this uh, free spirited, sparky young lady named Marta. And this yes. takes us straight into you could drive a person, person crazy, crazy, which is a number yep. where they all sing about how much he fucking sucks. Which is so <laughs> originally this was done as an Andrews sisters type number. Yep. They're all singing do 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 do. So good. Here, John Doyle does his thing and he gives them all saxophones. You could drive a person crazy. You could drive a person mad. First, you make a person hazy. So a person could be had. Then you leave a person dangling, sadly. Which it only makes a person gladly want to even more. I could understand a person. Yeah, we get through these three girlfriends that Bobby has. Is he dating them all at once? Is he dating them separately? Again, doesn't, doesn't really matter. matter. Doesn't matter. Can matter. be both. Not important. Can enough. be either. And we sort of leave the book scenes for a little bit. And we go yeah. into sort of a succession of songs. The first of all being, Have I Got a Girl for oh, You? And again, it. the chorus of husbands come in. Love and it. they're all trying to pawn off some lady that they met. or some, Have I Got a Girl for You? Wait till you meet her. Have I got a girl for you, boy? Oh boy, dumb. And with the weakness for Sazerac slings, you give her even the fruit and she swings. The kind of girl you can't send through the mails. Call me tomorrow, I want the details. The subtext of this song, of course, is not just that they're miserable married or trying to convince Bobby that they're miserable married. It's they 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 want to have sex with these people that he's having sex right. with. Oh, they want to hear about it. They all every time they yeah. get specific, they want him to call they in want the morning. The, the gory the, details. They want to know what happened. Yeah, how right. it all yeah. shook out. You just you just can hear the back of their minds like, okay, slower. Yeah, yeah. God. <laughs> oh god. And uh, this slower? is gross. Like like this yes. this works really well. I think in in, in yeah. achieving its desired yeah. outcome, which is like, yeah, this is like fucking skeezy and weird. But I think it's also a very well realized thing that is looking at a part of straight culture and being like yeah mm -hmm. this is like and also yeah paradoxical i mean the, the thing that keeps running through all of these guys talking about their marriages is the fact that it's it's it doesn't make any sense where like when they get to the second half of the song the marriage may be where it's been but it's not where it's at mm, and they yeah. talk about all oh, this like you know what do you like you like this. You like to be free. Well, then why do you want to get married? But then the last right, line yeah. of that song is, What do you like? You like an excursion to Rome, suddenly taking off to explore. What do you like? You like having meals cooked at home. Then what do you want to get married for? It ends on this very odd turn. Yeah. Yeah. And I like that. I like the fact that like these guys have gotten incomprehensible. Like, the, the, And you get yeah. the sense that what Bobby's hearing about marriage doesn't make any sense you know like which is the way it's been they're going. up in their heads now with their own anxieties about their marriage and yes, when you're down yeah. an anxiety spiral everything is terrible and it's yeah. got it's got, the music kind of has this like um bloody mary quality to it from south pacific like Ooh. it's just a bunch of like dudes being <laughs> dudes pull. yes <laughs> yeah uh, yeah i like it and well, we lead to our first uh, bobby soliloquy bad. Right. This yeah. Is, so this song, what do you want to get married for? Then becomes like literal. He he takes yeah. it not as a rhetorical question. It's right. like, what do you want to get married for? And he's like, well, someone is waiting. Kula Sarah, 
crazy and loving as Susan. And he names all of these qualities that all of the women have, all of these women in his life. He's like, well, there could be. So, he, so he, he's building a chimera. He's building a bride of Frankenstein. So great. That's going to be his perfect wife who never asks anything of him. And it's the yep. kind of it's the kind of song that only Stephen Sondheim can write, where he can yep. take, you know, a Susan sort of Sarah, a Jennyish Joanne, like lines yeah. like that that just sound so natural coming out of this character's mouth and yeah. make me perfectly go see the inertia of this character that like he's looking mm -hmm. for something so specific he's never going to find it, <laughs> it yeah. it's yeah. just like you know he and, and it really is encapsulated I think a lot influenced a lot by George Firth's line that will come up in a, in a couple scenes where yeah. you have to want somebody not just somebody and right yeah. he doesn't want somebody like this is so non-specific and yet also yeah. incredibly specific it, it's just never gonna it's like that um it's a cake song short skirt long jacket Right. We're just like, <laughs> yeah. there's too much detail here. Like this person doesn't exist in any kind yeah, of well, real and there's, world. There's that yeah. problem where he asks the wrong question, right? The, the are you ever sorry mm -hmm. you got married? Everyone's also asking him the wrong question, right? Like, when are you going to get yes. married? Right. We'll get married to who? Right. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> to yeah. what person? Right. And this then leads into another song, a, a fucking great song. Love another another song hundred yes. people. Love a song this all about song. Which we almost didn't even fucking get. They cut this uh, wow. for first preview and then they put it oh, back in. Man. Because uh, yeah. Sondheim went up to the actor and said, I'm getting that song put back in. Yeah. And he <laughs> left the theater and he's like, I've never felt better about myself than I got it put to be, back. It needs to be here because yeah. this is such a consummate New York musical. Like the city yes. is a character in this show in such a vibrant way. Another hundred people just got off of the train and came up to the ground while another hundred people just got off of the bus and are looking around at another hundred people who got off of the plane and are looking at us who got off of the train and the plane and the bus maybe yesterday. It's a city of strangers. Some come to work, some to play. A city of strangers, some come to stare, some to stay. And every day, the ones who stay can find each other in the crowded streets and the guarded parks. By the rusty fountains and the dusty trees with the battered bars. And they walk together past the postcard walls with the crude in the same way that like we talk about that 70s setting and how important like yeah. that place in time is that physical place is equally you can't set this in Dallas for the no, same reasons you right. can't set it in 2017. <laughs> Can you imagine doing that though? Yeah, the Texas Book Depository. Nobody's getting married. <laughs> Sondheim would later write a Texas Book Depository he musical, would. but that, that's, that's, right. that's a couple that's years right. off. Yeah. So the way this song works is it's like a it's a montage, right? Right. We're, right. we're again hanging out with Bobby's girlfriends, but now we're actually knowing who they are rather than hearing their complaints about him. We see Marta just simply by the act of her and her meditation on what New York is to her as this yeah. great constellation of shooting stars yep and we see april we get a april's kind of the main girlfriend of this whole right. harem anime that is bobby's life <laughs> uh she is best girl and i believe that's how george Firth originally oh described it yeah right. it's a harem anime i love that bobby muyo um it's 
Can you imagine George Firth showing up to rehearsal being like, guys, I'm really into Japanese animation right now. And I, think. <laughs> I don't want to say she's a dunce, but she is very, her, her mind goes any number of places other than the right place. No, she's, she's, she's Amanda Seyfried in Mean Girls. The best version of her is Amanda yeah. Seyfried in Mean Girls, where it's just that like, well, because it's the difference between dits and not really paying attention. Mm-hmm. You know what I mean? Yeah. Like it's that, yeah. like the thing, the, the Amanda Seyfried's character in Mean Girls is great because she's unabashed by how like wild she sounds. She's just like, <laughs> yeah. she's like, this is just me. Yeah. She's just living out loud. That's her whole thing. Yes. Yeah. And she has a completely different set of logic. Like it's yes. like, right. when you listen to her, you're like, okay, there's a logic here. I'm just not tapped into it as opposed to like, let's make fun of her for not being the brightest. Like, which yeah. is what I get out of this performance is, is that idea of like, I mean, I think that Elizabeth Stanley is really doing that is yes. like, she's kind of wide eyed and she's not that fast, but she's also not ashamed. She knows exactly. I mean, that's why I like the line. I'm really dumb. No, you're not. Yes, I am. And it's fine. Like, I'm not, she's not ashamed of yeah. that. She's just like, no, this no. is just, this is who I am. The funny thing about it is we come to find in act two, she does really think about things. Like, a yeah. Lot. Maybe a yeah, little bit. In a very interesting human. and complicated way. That's yeah. what it is. It's like, she just has a different way of thinking about things. So she comes to like incorrect conclusions. Like she makes the assumption based on just things that she's collected and heard over her life that Radio City is a literal city right. somewhere near New York. nobody right. told her it wasn't. Like, why wouldn't yeah. you think that? Yeah. And I feel like we all know people like this too. And they- it can sure. be a lot of fun to be around because every once in a while they'll say something you're like, wait, what? Well, that they were having an entirely different conversation than what you were having. Right. Exactly. Yeah. Exactly. Exactly. It's like insight. Yes. And it's like, oh my God. It's like, yeah. oh, you were. In, oh, wow. Okay. Yeah. Mm, yeah. And sometimes it's like, wait, what? But other times it's like, wow, that is a, that I, I never would have thought about it that way, but they yeah. completely reframed how I think about this thing. Mm-hmm. She's both of these, right? And I need to address Claiborne Elder who played mm. this character known as Andy. In the most recent review, oh, yes. yeah, mm. who was transcendently funny. I have okay. no, like amazing. He's a himbo as a himbo. Yeah. Making okay. a character a himbo like really works. That makes yeah. sense yeah. because that yeah, undeserved that, that confidence is so beautiful in these scenes where he's just like, it's like John Hamm in Thirty Rock. It is that mm-hmm. perfect level of just like I haven't learned anything because I've never had to because. Like, yeah, look yeah. At, look he's at a golden me. retriever. Yeah, yeah exactly. Yeah. And it's beautiful. It's absolutely beautiful. And he did it so perfectly. I mean, he was just yeah. so charming and hilarious. And the moment he says, in the, the, hearing him say the line, I don't have anything else to say and walking away yeah. felt the yeah. most real it's, of like something a guy would actually say absolutely. to a woman. Yeah, absolutely. Like that. You know what I mean? Like being like, we're done talking now and he's gone yeah. and you're just like, okay, I guess that's <laughs> so okay, cool. it's, it's a very, yeah. it's a very funny scene yes, it and, is. and it's still funny here too. Yeah, it is. Yeah. It works really well here. Our third girl is Kathy yeah. who yes. is uh, from Cape Cod yes. with, you know, all of the attendant implications in terms of class and so on. I don't know. This is such a different, I don't even know what it classifies as. It is it's different. Very different scene. It's a very different scene. Um, There's an implication in the scene that they actually stopped dating a long time ago by the time we see this moment. So we don't, again, we don't know when this is. This could literally be after everything else in the play, including the ending. We really don't (laughs) know. You know, they had a very meaningful relationship, but it was earlier Mm -hmm. on in Bobby's life. And, you know, Bobby had been thinking about asking her to, to marry him. Maybe. 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 Yeah, there's a, there's a lot that I really like the way they play this scene because I really don't know what the truth is. From yep. Rallo Sparza. I really like that a lot. Yeah. yeah. There's also this this idea that like he's saying it because he knows it's over. 
Right. So he can say no something like this now and be like, oh, yeah, well, I, I would have loved to marry you. Because that's yep. it. Yeah. And it's that great. Doyle directs it well and they perform it well when she, he says. And how come we never got married? Why'd you never ask me? Do you want to marry me? I. And the panic on his yeah. face yeah. in that moment is perfect. Yeah, because she also knows perfect. how to push his buttons, right? Because yes. they've been friends for so long that yes. she knows exactly how to freak him out. Yes. This is someone that, like, I feel he's on the most like even playing yes. field with. Yeah, like, yeah, like yeah. they're yeah. they Until both the approach end, something Joanne, in the same way. This is the only other person who's like got him pegged. Yep. Yeah. yeah, but yeah. but yeah. the timing just wasn't right. I did. What? I honestly did. When did in the beginning? But then I, I I don't know. I never I never thought that you would. I would. I, I never I, understood why you never asked me. <laughs> <laughs> So, so you wanted to marry me and I wanted to marry you. <laughs> and how the hell did we ever end up such good friends? Everything is calculated up until this point, even uh, because Bobby is mostly there to like to also deliver like really good punchlines every once in a while. So right. he has. Uh, yeah, he's he that has, guy, right? He's always got the witty little rejoinder like, haha, gotcha. Yeah. yeah, he's like, I'd ask for a bourbon, but I'm terrified. Yeah, like, it's right. like mm-hmm. it, you could see him like making that line a couple lines before. But this is the first time he says, you are like this park, lovely. And then you see him. It's like he's trying it out. Right. Like he's Mm. still so scared to fully let the wall down and it's an experiment. And yeah. And then he obviously gets his heart ripped out. Right. Yeah. Because you really see it hurt him when she says she's getting married and she's leaving. And it really it hurts. You can really see that. Like it really affect him. And this is sort of the first domino that will fall throughout the evening where we actually see the wall fully collapse, especially when we get into act two. But it's it's so. It's so meticulously crafted at mm-hmm. each and every moment of this yeah. scene. Um, this is my and this, favorite and this scene. This is in the show. part of why George Firth deserves credit. You yes. Know, yes. So many yeah. people oh, want to yes. say, yes, yes, like yes, you yes. said, AJ, earlier, like people just say, oh, yeah, Sondheim wrote these great scores to, to scripts that are bad. And yeah. it's just that's just not true. That's not just true not the case. Yeah, there. I mean, there's a lot of moments where I feel like first, like the, the book falls on its face. But the thing is, there mm-hmm. are so many more where it fucking soars. Mm-hmm. And yeah. this is this is one of those moments. When well, I also think that just like Bobby is a difficult role to play and people mm-hmm. don't realize that because when you cast yeah. a musical, the first thing you're like is, well, can they sing it? Can they hit right. the note? Can they hit the yeah, high exactly. note? Right. Right. Yeah. That's great. Can you sing it? Is very important, but also just almost just as important if we're going to do an evening of theaters. Can they fucking play it? And yeah. Bobby's a hard part to play. And Company is a deceptively hard show to direct because mm-hmm. it feels like it's all right there in front of you. It's like scene, song, scenes, like it moves, and the pacing is so good on the page. I think people underestimate the fact that like if you get the tone of this even a tiny bit wrong, yeah. and I mean like scene to scene, you're yeah. lost. You're absolutely yeah. sunk. And this is a really tricky scene to get right because yeah. it's nothing like there's this is all Kathy does. She sings the lead in You Could Drive a Person Crazy. Mm-hmm. And then she does this. And if you were Donna McKechnie in 1970, you also got an amazing dance solo. But yeah. Oh, hell yeah, dude. But, but like, but yeah, yeah, in this version, it's just this. It's just this. this. And gets. this is pretty much what it is. Like this is this is Kathy. And so. Yeah. You also have to get an actress who can nail this scene, which she does. She makes a real impression here. I feel fun fact. Do you know where they are? I looked this up for the first time ever. Where are they? Is it there? They're actually in a real place. There's a real park that opened in 1970 Um, in the East 50s called Greenacre Park. It is on 51st between second and third. And it is a weird little park 
tiny little park with a huge waterfall. <laughs> um, wow. The, the last part of sort of this assemblage that we get then is a, a conversation with Marta, who's been singing. Yes. Angel uh, another Desai, people just baby. Got off. Yep, Angel Desai. She's, I find her delightful in she's this. She's great. Yeah. yeah. I've, um, done a, I've done a couple of readings with her, and oh, she really? is an incredibly generous, wonderful human being. Yeah, you really uh, I think that she, vibe. She the, kills it in this scene. Yeah, like, she really does. It's, it's, it's a, again, a very dated book scene yeah. yep. that she makes sore. You know, she's a hipster in like the old school sense. Right. Like back, back before. She's a hippie. Before. But yeah. even yeah. like before hippies, because she's so New York. She's not like, she's not like a hippie right. going out right. to. She's not the, a hair hippie. The grasslands yeah, and yeah. the vans and everything. She is someone who came into the city because it's so cool. Yes. And she likes to yeah. hang out with ethnic minorities of yep. various types. Yes. It's and so sexual cool. Just minorities. like me. Like, uh, genuine. She, that's the, the thing about Marta is to me like I've seen Marta played in that way of like the fast talking brash young mm-hmm. New York kid who's like but who is wrong you know like we've all met the, who then like walks into Bed-Stuy yeah. and then like runs out of Bed-Stuy you know like yeah, yeah yeah so like we've all met that person she's like in it she's a thousand percent in it she's like very much like I am New York New York is me and I believe her. <laughs> I absolutely yeah. believe. But she's still naive. Yeah. She's still got she the naivete is. of youth and of lack of lived experience. And yeah, so she says some things that are like, "Ooh, that's a little embarrassing." Like <laughs> yeah. it's like, but she she she's also so is alive. like someone who I believe is out there on the street and actually getting along with people. And yeah, like, sure. and, yeah, yeah. and her her speech about how the rhythm of New York is in your asshole. Yes, uh, so is good. is yeah. great, and it's true because I hate it here uh, because I'm uptight. <laughs> It is a really great. It's a great scene. It goes so well with the song, which is important in that moment to talk about, like how another hundred people functions in this show, that it Mm. is really like a quick moment about alienation and that like there are just tons of people around all different kinds and how that's great. But it's also very lonely. Like you can be in the Mm -hmm. middle of this city and be incredibly and because all three scenes are also about New York. They are about the mm-hmm. experience of three very different experiences of living in New York. It's almost a one act play. These three yes, scenes, these put three together. scenes yeah. all by themselves. Yeah. yeah, yeah. They they constitute an entire little little moment for her to do to do that. And it's also a, a part again, very very underestimated how to play this part. Yeah, like it's mm. yeah, it's don't don't be cool. Like man, I've seen this part played by people who think Marta's super cool. Marta doesn't think she's cool. Marta's just alive. Like that's yeah. the yeah. whole yeah. jam. Yeah, yeah. Just like let it let the words go and just be, and and you'll you'll knock it out of the park. Once we get back from our break, we're going to get another really fantastic example of somebody who uses the words and the shape of the character to carry her through the scene. Stay tuned for that after this. Hello, chums. Dean Jones here, the original Bobby in Stephen Sondheim's company and recently divorced man. Now, I've heard rumor that our little show's being revived left, right, and center. And, well, from the bottom of my heart, I just wanted to say, stop. Because when you revive company, what do you get? Someone to act in your role. Someone with flawless physique. Someone to sleep in your bed to ruin your streak. That's true, but it's more than that. Shows change all the time, Dean. Modern audiences want things a little edgier. But our production was plenty edgy. We did karate, we smoked grass, heck, we even explored bisexuality. You can't buy sexuality, Dino. 
You gotta feel it. It's not the 70s anymore, Dean. I don't think it'll be the 70s ever again, 70s. Someone to come to your house. Someone she met in Tai Chi. Someone whose nickname is Chud, who she claims to be a cohort of Bud. Dean, what the hell are you talking about? Well, I just think it's a shame that no one appreciates what they have, you know? Like, they just keep changing everything, and for what? Just for someone... something new? Can't worry about it being new. The only thing you have to worry about, really, is that it won't be. Shut the fuck up, Harry. I hate you so goddamn. Chud meets you at the hotel. Dean, are you drunk? Chud makes you sit in the chair. Dean, it's 9 a.m. Chud says you're such a good boy and makes you aware you're only a toy and you're being revived. Being revived. Being revived. Being revived! Dean, I'm beginning to think this isn't about the show at all. What's going on? What's going on? Somebody's banging my wife. Somebody's real name is Tim. Somebody make it make sense. He somehow got shot when his name is Tim. And he took my wife. Where is my wife? Bring me my wife. Yes, I have done. Yes, I have fame. But how can you grow when you are to blame? Cause a show is a show, not my wife. Somebody stop the divorce. Somebody force her to care. Somebody tell her old Dean will always be there. With 70s sheen, cause I have survived being dewived. Should he connived? I'm wiped deprived. When we left Bobby, of course, uh, we were looking at his relationships with all of these different women who are sort of in and out of his life. Mm-hmm. From here, we go back sort of into the structure that we've been getting for the most part in this show, which is him hanging out with another couple. Yeah. The couple we're hanging out with here is Amy and Paul. Today is for Amy. Amy, I give you the rest of my life to cherish and to keep you. Honor you forever. Today is for Amy, my happily soon to be wife. Amy, we're really getting married. 
Pardon me, is everybody there? Because if everybody's there, I want to thank you all for coming to the wedding. I'd appreciate you going even more. I mean, you must have lots of better things to do. And not a word of it to Paul. Remember, Paul, you know the man I'm going to marry, but I'm not. Because I wouldn't ruin anyone as wonderful as he is. But I thank you all for the gifts and the flowers. Thank you all. Now it's back to the showers. Don't tell Paul, but I'm not getting married today. This is so difficult to sing, first of all. And yet, he and yet. designed the words so that they would be easy to say this quickly, which yeah. is... I see someone was watching the D.A. Pennebaker documentary. <laughs> I, I did. I did. Um, that was that also uh, that also led to my favorite line from Dean Jones, which was, I'll try and sing it. I can't even spit at this hour of the morning. <laughs> go, would you go? Why is nobody listening? Goodbye, go and cry at another person's wake. If you're quick for a kick, you could pick up a christening but please on my knees there's a human life at stake listen everybody i'm afraid you didn't hear do you want to see a crazy lady fall apart in front of you it isn't only paul who may be ruining his life you know what both of us be losing our identities i telephoned my analyst about it and he said to see him monday but by monday i'll be floating in the hudson with the other garbage i'm not well so i'm not getting married you've been swell but i'm not getting married clear the hall because i'm not getting married thank you all but i'm not getting married and don't tell paul but i'm not getting married today and Heather Laws is such a queen. I mean, oh, like, oh, the, yes. this oh, is God. one of the faster renditions of this song, and it's not even the fastest that she has done it. I don't know if it's still oh, on wow, YouTube really? these days. Yes, there is a, a bootleg yeah. of her singing it on Broadway, oh, and it's, my gosh. it's, it's it, like it one hurts. and a half times faster than this. You, you don't understand. I, I can't understand how they can play it that fast, let alone she can yeah. sing it that fast. And it is, like, incredibly easy to hear the lyrics. They're incredibly easy to say. By, by Monday, I'll be floating in the Hudson with the other garbage is just like... <laughs> Yeah. There are certain the thing of the, if you ask what makes like great lyrics to me, it's the fact that like with Sondheim and his very conversational style of writing, I can say that as a sentence. You can imagine yeah. me saying Monday I'll be floating in the Hudson with the other garbage, but Absolutely. it has an incredible cadence to it. That that series of syllables, but it still is a phrase somebody would say out loud. You know what well, I mean? It, it, and this is what is makes it so different from you know we talked about chess on this show a couple months ago, <laughs> which is flawless in every way. Yes, they, go ahead. <laughs> they just <laughs> Tim Rice shoves so many just like impossible words into impossible patterns that mm-hmm. the take emphasis, my blues as red. Like what does that even mean? <laughs> I can like, explain it. These I can words, explain no, it now. No, you can't. Don't. Shut up. Oh, no, hang on. It's you can't. over. We did you it. Can't. Because here's the thing. No, no, no. But the, the, you can explain it. But the fact that you have to explain it means that yeah, it doesn't work. You can't work. hear it. You yeah. cannot hear the it, meaning. It just the, doesn't the, fucking work. The best example of that to me for Tim Rice, who is, I mean, we've done chess three times on my podcast. Yeah, we've only done it the once. We can't I, even know how you did it. Never three. again. What makes Tim Rice, a definitive Tim Rice lyric to me, mm-hmm. listen to the song One Jump Ahead from Aladdin. One jump ahead of the slow pokes, one skip ahead of my doom. Next time, can I use a nom de plume? I, I mean, the main thing I think of when I think of uh, One Jump Ahead from Aladdin is I don't know what any of those fucking words are. Yeah. Aside <laughs> from, still, I think he's rather tasty. That's exactly what I was going to say. It is that, like, what is that? Where does that come from? How does that work? What is that even? Next time, better use a nom de plume. I'm sorry. You are a literally uneducated, like, homeless, like, ro- charming rogue robber who apparently right. went to Cambridge. Like, not, Tim Rice cannot imagine the poor, like, as yeah. a concept. He just concept. simply yeah. cannot. Right. But to pull it back to company, yes, yes. this <laughs> is a great <laughs> example of yeah. the opposite of that, where yes. every moment in this song, every thought that she has, the way that the thoughts connect to each other, the way that her frame of mind is is reflected in the, the, the tempo and what she's talking about, it tells the story in a way that 
is not told is not could not possibly be told outside of the context of musical theater, which is yes. the point I said earlier that I had only ever seen two songs in professional productions stop a show. And this was mm-hmm. the other one when I saw yeah. the company revival um, mm-hmm. and the, the uh, most recent one, the most or recent the... one. And Matt, okay. Doyle, yeah, Matt Doyle, who yeah. would go on to win his Tony for this absolutely right. stopped the show and it's yeah. also totally informed by it should be also as we said before the scene that comes after it mm-hmm. like you absolutely yes. get the like mm-hmm. those moments of like she's serving boiled orange juice which is just like <laughs> <laughs> such an amazing yeah, she left the refrigerator open and everything guess, in it and got everything's hot. hot and so they're having boiled orange juice well, oh. Bobby says like you might die from drinking boiling hot orange juice which is <laughs> just such Paul a Paul is doing his best because he's just like, trying to manage he knows that she'll be okay once the day is over and he's right. saying you know what it's fine and she's like no fuck you punch me <laughs> in the face <laughs> I suck you do also get I love of the detail in the script of um, the notes. Whoever reads this, I love you. Well, thank you. I love you. Thank him, the phantom. He leaves notes like that all over the place. A person can't stand all that sweetness, Paul. Nobody human can stand all that everlasting affection. And you can see how that level of affection for somebody like Amy could actually be a problem. Like he's a yeah. little. Yeah. He's a little overbearing, but also like fuck Harold Prince and and Sondheim and Firth, all these guys for making their actress sing oh, that yeah. song and then, and then do, do the, the scene, scene. Yeah. yeah, where she has to retain <laughs> the same energy she had in that in song. this 2006 revival. She pulls it off. I mean, part yeah. of it is oh, yeah. that it's just the way that they did the staging here is it's not quite involved. You don't have slamming doors and stuff like no. that in this version. She's just kind of running around the stage, but it's still very physical. She's down on all <laughs> fours at, at one point, like they're trying to do what they can to calm her down. And she's just not fucking having it. Everything is freaking her out. She says, She's never seen one good marriage. It leaves Bobby with this opportunity then to, because he's fucking crazy, (laughs) be like, hey, do you want to marry me? And he's kind of serious. What did I just do? You did what you had to do, I guess. If if it was right, you would have gone through with it. That's what I think anyway. Amy. Marry me. What? Marry me. This is the first time Bobby like doesn't just do the right thing. And by right thing, I mean the most convenient thing in a scene. Yeah. Yeah. Right. He'll say, oh, yeah, I meant to marry you when he knows that it's over. Or he just asks a question to diffuse the tension here. He does something really, really strange. Yeah. Yeah. Right. Really out there because he sees this kindred spirit in Amy and he just says, well, what if we just get married then? Yeah. Yeah. After she's like decided she's never going to get married to anyone because right. all marriages are bad. Right. He's just like, OK, marry me. Yeah. Yeah. And, and everybody will safe. leave us alone. I mean, it's a very yeah. like and it's a good end of act one moment because this is also the only scene that is about how the institution of marriage is the problem, not the mm. relationships. It's what yeah. the concept of marriage can do to a to a couple because right. that's what she's mm-hmm. freaking out about. She's freaking out about getting married, being married, not Paul. Like she's pointing it at Paul because he's the one she's going to get married to. But like it is like it's not Paul, really. It's the marriage, Mm -hmm. the idea of marriage. And so when he's Bobby says to her, marry me and every everybody will just leave us alone. I I really see him in that moment as a guy like, okay, we'll get married and then we can just keep doing what we've been doing. And it's not a big deal. 
and it'll yeah. be fine. And he he falters and breaks, and it's just like, I mean, please for yeah. the love of right. God, like I'm not kidding. He really for the first like I know I joke around a lot. I'm not kidding. Like, yeah, right. what, what if we actually sh- just did this? Yeah, like, and yeah. It it something Amy. needs to change. Like, yeah. it, it, sh- it, well, that's the thing is it shakes yeah. her into reality in a yeah. beautiful way of like, oh, you're crazy. Yeah. <laughs> she has to manage him. Right. Like that, he's no longer the one managing the other people. She's like, uh, sh- yeah, yeah, uh, I don't really I should go. I should get married. I should get yeah. married to Paul. Right. I should go. Well, it's, <laughs> and she's a transactional thing, right? Yes. It's like it's. I think when a lot of people have that one single friend, right, it is there's a lot of like pressure put on them to be the performer, yep. to be the mm-hmm. happy one, to be like the and he's the best man here, the incorrigible right. rogue. Right. But the minute they're like, actually, I'm not doing so well. They're like, nah, actually, yeah. you know what? I'm going to go do this my thing. Like, yeah, that's not why I don't talk to you for that. So you should. Yeah, stop. It's, yeah, yeah, it's, yeah. It's jarring for them. And then from here, this takes him into the act one closer Marry me a little, which was Sondheim's uh, most famous cut song. Mm. It is now not his most famous cut song because they put it back in. Right. Yeah. Uh, Marry me a little was was at one time a finale. There was also the oldest versions of this show. Bobby does get married to Amy, and he sings a song about how everything's really about Amy and how he should marry her. And Marry me a little was such a such a good song that there was a review made in the seventies called Marry me a little, where they right. just took cut Sondheim songs yes. and sang them, which yes. still exists in some form. They'll they'll switch the songs around and yeah. do it. But of course, Marry me a little, Marry me a little has found its way back into the show as uh, I think a perfect act one closer marry yeah. me a little love me just enough cry but not too often play but not too rough keep a tender distance so we'll both be free that's the way it ought to be so I like marry me a little and I like it in this version the best I like the original ending of just ending on the scene and the Bob, like, cause originally in, in the seventies production, sure. get, there was no act one closer. It just had the Bobbies and we fade out into the, into mm-hmm. intermission. But mm-hmm. I get wanting to have a song in that moment. I would rather the song be the penultimate finale for the show, mm. which was, which was also cut in favor of being alive, which is a song called happily ever after, yeah. which is mm-hmm. very similar to being alive in construction uses a lot of the same lyrics actually mm-hmm. and yeah. talks about how the song is too long to be in a, it would have to be cut down because I think it's about six minutes long sure. but it is a the the lady doth protest too much kind of like why marriage sucks moment mm-hmm. and mm-hmm. I like the parallel of that song also first of all ending act one with a song called happily ever after I think is nice and then ending yeah. He's done it, that. And yeah. Yes, and having <laughs> and a lot of people left because they, they didn't know there was, yeah, they, they was a <laughs> It's got a lot of the same ideas in it as someone is waiting. Yes. Right. He is looking for his Jennyish Joanne. He is yeah. looking for someone who will marry him, but only a little. Yes. Right. Cry, but not too not much. Too much. All yeah. these things. But it's showing he wants something. He wants something to change. Obviously, we just had this scene with Amy. He wants something to be different, but he doesn't want to make a sacrifice for it. We'll look not too not too far we won't have to give up a thing we'll stay who we are right okay then I'm ready 
it's one of those things that he keeps screaming about how ready he is. And I think the reason it works so well in the 2006 version is because it's so clear how unready he is yes. to actually mm. do it because he's <laughs> not true. really to fully commit. Um, and it's also, this is a thing we haven't talked about yet, but everyone in the show plays an instrument in John Doyle's version, except for Bobby. Right. He sings, mm-hmm. but he does not pick up an instrument because he's not ready to join the orchestra of life in yes. the grand metaphor or whatever. Um, and so he keeps screaming about, I'm ready, but subconsciously as an audience member, you know he's not because he's not playing an instrument yet. Right. And he's screaming it at his own thoughts, and his thoughts are like, bro, you are not, not ready. Yeah. ready. And so the dramatic question then for me going into intermission is what's going to make him ready? Mm-hmm. Right. Which is why I think Marry Me a Little works so well is because I want to come back to see like, okay, so what's going to be the thing that actually gets him to being alive? Like what is... Right. What what is that catalyst? Because we come back from break and uh, we get a little fun. Get a little it's fun Bobby's over. birthday. It's Bobby's birthday again? Question yes. mark. Well, our blessings, Robert. Don't tell your wish, Bobby, or it won't come true. You just blew it. It probably was a wish you wouldn't have got anyway, Robert. You wish for a wife, Robert? Don't. You're a lucky son of a gun now. Hang in there. Actually, I didn't wish for anything. What do you mean you didn't wish for anything? Everybody's so curious. Tell, but lie. Thank you for including me in your thoughts, your lives. Stay exactly as you are, Robert. That's right, you sweet thing. Stay exactly as you are. Everyone adores you. What an awful thing. Things happen for the best. I don't even believe that myself. I mean, when you've got friends like mine... It has sort of the same vibes as the opening number, but it gets a little bit more complicated because Bobby is talking about how easy it is and breezy it is being side by side by side. Isn't it warm? Isn't it rosy? Side by side. He's such a cutie. By side. Isn't he a cutie? (laughs) Ports in a storm. Comfy and cozy. Side by side. He never loses his cool. By side. I envy that. Everything shines. How sweet. Side by side. By side. Parallel lines. Who meet? Love him. Can't get enough of him. Everyone. Where, you know, where you are always the perpetual third wheel and the advantages of that. But it gives way to What Would We Do Without You, which is the most uh, parasitic uh, relationship song, yes. uh, it, I think, in musical theater. And yeah, Bobby uh, exists for these people's convenience. And for yeah, their that's fun what and for the their relationship has turned yes. into is like, oh, we need to let go. We need to get out of the house for a day. Yep. Let's call up Bobby. Right. I'm sure he's got nothing else going on. And they're right. Who will keep yep. her occupied when I want to sleep? That is a yep. wow, man. That's a line. <laughs> yeah. and the way that they pull the staging together too i just appreciated this from a directorial perspective is that the stage picture grows more and more frenetic yes. over the course of this number
actually they've got their instruments they're marching around in circles inside of circles there are their people are crossing through the circle to get to the other side of the <laughs> yes. stage yeah. um, and Bobby interestingly here at one point picks up he, he makes his first attempt at playing an instrument he picks up a kazoo and blows into the kazoo but there's nobody to respond to his instrument in yeah. this moment he looks down the line everybody else looks down the line but there's nobody there yep and they start so they started singing side by side by side right the yeah. couples and bobby and now they're all singing side by side there's no right. third side anymore. Right, he's, he's right, out of the right, picture. Right, right. They're yeah. all doing their thing. They've completed their little instrumental duets, and he's by himself. Who meets side by side? Act two is where things get a little bit soupy for me, but we do have this incredible scene with April uh, at the start, right after we've set everything up. And it's again, another kind of mini play, right? It's right. another mini yep. one act. Uh, and we'll remember, we'll remember April is our flight attendant from earlier. Mm-hmm. The one with the unconventional way of thinking about things who moved to New York from Ohio uh, with stars in her eyes and dreams of living in radio city. And this scene is accompanied by a song sung by the chorus of wives, right? So before right. we had the chorus of husbands trying to set Bobby up and then, you know, say, Hey, tell me, Tell me how it went. Tell right. me everything uh, to these women who are taking more of like a matronly tone. Oh, Bobby just needs someone it. to take care of him. I yeah, poor it. baby. Darling. Yes. Robert. What? I worry. Why? He's all alone. Mm-hmm. There's no one. Where? In his life. Oh. Robert ought to have a woman. And when he's with someone, they actually are mad about it. It's so right? good. But isn't she a little bit, well, you know, you know, face it, no one wants you to be happier than I do. Better, no one, no one isn't she a little bit, well, you know, you know, face it, no one wants you to be This this scene with with Bobby and April is is interesting. It, it's yes. it's a very this is two while, while you're talking about soupy. There's not that many scenes in Act Two, and they're all kind of long. And yeah. this one's sort of having the change of, of this yeah. pace yeah. from up top yeah. too. She comes in. April comes in. First thing she does, she sets down her baritone. He's right. got eyes on the baritone from there. They right. go into the bedroom. The bed is the piano. Right. And we are teasing up mm. until this point that like the piano is probably going to be Bobby's instrument, but we're just not there yet. And so there's this question, there's this tension that's in the staging of, are they going to play the instruments or not? They don't. And I think that's interesting. But the way that this is a more abstract thing than literally taking each other's clothes off. For me, it worked. Yeah, there's also this aspect of like things have been moved around a little bit here. John Doyle always kind of moves things around. But also the dance sequence, TikTok, does not exist in any form in this show. So we've moved the the song that goes along with it around so that in place of TikTok is the second half of Poor Baby. 
Um, in the original production, there's this big exuberant number with like recorded voiceovers of all the different couples having sex at the same time. Donna McKechnie gets that out there and does a dance. Oh, God. Oh, dear. Oh. oh. I like that. I know. Oh. oh, she has such a lovely, smooth body. Oh, what is he doing? Um, and the the latest revival with Katrina Lank has a totally different approach yes. to TikTok where she um, imagines her future in sort of a montage where all the other women in the show are dressed as her, playing her at different phases of her life. My I, concept yeah. is going to have them all do TikTok dances. They're yes. all going to get oh, in front of the camera and they're going to yes. whip and they're going to nay-nay and things of that nature. So this scene, as we go from the sex scene, how in whatever form it takes in whatever given show, we go to the morning after. And this is a, a the classic morning. I don't know if there are any other morning after songs in, in Broadway history. There's, of course, the morning after song from the Poseidon Adventure. She has to go. She has to get on a flight. And he's saying, don't do it. She says, okay, I won't do it. And he's like, fuck. Uh, <laughs> right. Because he didn't really mean it. No, you're angry. No, I'm not. Yes, you are. No, I'm not. Put your things down. See, you're angry. No, I'm not. Yes, you are. No, I'm not. Put your wings down and stay. I'm leaving. Why? To go to stay. I have to. I know to this has one of my favorite little Sondheim moments where he was on uh, Inside the Actors Studio and uh, James Lipton, who himself was a composer, he knew that Sondheim had a reputation for being slow, right? Like it takes him a long time to write stuff. And he's like, so this song, it seems so simple. It seems so easy, but this probably took you a long time, right? How long did it take? And Sondheim says, I hate to tell you this, James. Two days. Yeah. You go, son of a bitch. <laughs> uh, that song performed by Liz Calloway. Liz Calloway, that's right. And Jim Morrison. Yeah, I mean, it, it's one of those things that Sondheim occasionally could just slip into utter simplicity and mm-hmm. he could just hammer it out and you'd have a song like this, which is just a wonderful little song. It's very simple. It's very just back and forth and back and forth playing the game. Mm-hmm. But ultimately, yeah, he doesn't really want her to stick around. He just wants to be the, oh, don't go. You're so pretty. You know, like he. And he actually yeah. calls her June rather than yes. April. Womp womp. Um, but it's still enough to win her over, I guess. And uh, but but now he's stuck because now it's like, well, I've got this woman who I like to see, but I don't like like her like that, really. Mm-hmm. And that that becomes even more confusing then when we get pulled into the next scene where Bobby brings Marta, a sort of village bohemian, Mm -hmm. by Susan and Peter's place, and they actually have stayed together, even though they got divorced. Yeah, he he just assumes the divorce didn't go through, and they're like, no, no, we're We're fully divorced. But he's got responsibilities, got to raise the the kids. Like, he can't just leave. We have this moment where, where, where the women go off into, like, the kitchen or whatever, and it's just Peter and Bobby. She's terrific, Robert. Are you excited about the younger generation? At moments. Jesus, Robert, this is when I should be being born. 
This is my age, wild-ass kids with probing minds, rebelling against all the crap. <laughs> Identify with those kids. Shouldn't. You're the enemy, the same as their parents. No, sir, not I. Peter, we're square to those kids. Robert, did you ever have a homosexual experience? I beg your pardon. Oh, I, I don't mean as a kid. I mean, since you've been an adult, have you ever? Well, yes. I have, actually, yes. You're not gay, are you? No. No. Are you? No. <laughs> no, for Christ's sake. <laughs> I've tried it more than once, though. <laughs> Is that a fact? Yeah, I think sometimes you meet someone and just love the crap out of them, you know? Oh, absolutely, I'm sure that's sometimes true. Sometimes you just want to manifest that love, that's all. Yeah, no, I understand, absolutely. <laughs> In 1969 or whatever, you couldn't really just come out and say it. There is sort of a game to it. But I guess that's my question. Like, do we think that this production is set in 1969? No. No, no, yeah. no, no, no. Absolutely yeah. not. Yeah, Especially when a, Bobby like in, in, in yeah. this version to like having had homosexual experiences. Like, I feel like the blaseness is just because oh yeah that's cool Every, i mean everyone kind of is doing yeah it these so days. it's it's worth noting that there was some apparently some version of this scene in some form maybe when it was uh in its out-of-town tryout in boston or something by mm -hmm. the time it was on broadway this scene didn't exist oh right? It, it was, was put in in the 90s. Yeah, so this is a scene that in the most recent revival, this scene ends with the reveal that Peter, I think Susan's pregnant. Brian, is that correct? Yes. That's yeah, the, I could have said that's, yeah, that's, that's what it is. That's not the way the 70s scene ended. But the 70s also scene. Also, the, the Marta character is not in this scene. Is at not all. in the scene. Right. Yeah. Which Whoa. is the. But that is much closer to the original. Is like he just goes back over to the apartment hmm. and assumes they're divorced and finds out they're not. They're actually much happier now that they're not married. And that's the whole joke. And then the scene yeah. is over. It's very short. The scene as it is in, in this production with, with the Have You Ever Had a Homosexual Experience was, as I understood it, written for the original, cut. Yeah. Then yeah. Firth used it in an early version of his play, Twigs. Oh. And then it was cut from that huh. as well. And then it was put in <laughs> the 95, whatever wow. it is, Broadway yeah. revival and lives in this show to this day in this sequence. Yeah. This version, yeah. Peter feels a little bit like a predator to me. Yeah. <laughs> Just yeah. It's like, get yeah. out of there. Right. It is a real like, it's super. And I think it's an, another moment of like in, in the Neil Patrick Harris version and in the version that the way it's scripted, they're on the terrace. Like there's very mm -hmm. close quarters between the two of them. Mm -hmm. And like, right. It, it feels uncomfortable. It feels honest. It also feels very like weird. And when Bobby goes, you're you. Oh, you. There's an incredible sadness to that. In this mm -hmm. moment, since they're on opposite ends of the stage, because again, it's, you know, forensic staging. Yeah. We, yeah. Th there's a little bit more f like I, I don't feel as trapped by Peter, but the, yeah. the, the acting he's giving from that piano bench with that <laughs> shirt is oh, yeah, just baby. like total like, hey, man, sometimes, you know, we, we're just humans like like. So it's like sometimes I take my pants off, like whatever. Which I, I like I that. love that line. Sometimes you just love the crap, crap out, of out of them. It I sounds like, yeah. like it's such like church youth group language. Yeah, right. like I just yeah. want to love on you, bro. It feels like, very <laughs> closeted late '60s, early '70s yeah. language to me. Of just like, yeah. listen, I'm not gay. Yeah, I just like sometimes you meet. We're all just people. Well, right. whatever. It also works as sort of like a metatextual thing of like this. They know that this is a conversation that has been had about this show. 
since its yeah. inception. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yes. Yeah. Yes. So it's like they're acting as audience surrogates being like, but are you gay? Yeah, there's a reason this gets put back in, and it's because they're like, Bobby's not gay. That is a really boring way to read this show. So yes, he's had sex with men, but no, that's not the main problem with him. Yeah. Bye. Yeah, and thank you. And that's also a thing we've been talking about this whole time about asking the wrong question. Yes. It's underlining it in that moment of saying, you're asking the wrong question about Bobby. You should be asking... Is this guy okay? Right. Mm-hmm. The mm-hmm. answer of which is no. By the oh, way, he's like, sure yeah. not. Very, very much a very much a no. Neither of these guys are okay. No, no nobody's very okay. Few people in the show are okay. okay. I think Mart is okay. <laughs> And I think yeah, Mart is great. I think, I think April Paul will be okay. April will yes. be okay. I think Paul's will be okay. Like once, like they clearly got married, so I think yeah. Paul, mm-hmm. Paul's yeah. probably okay. Um, yeah. Maybe, but you know who's definitely not okay not. is but. Joanne. Uh, uh, no, we we no, we should probably no. now talk about. Let's her. get to to Bart to yeah. uh, yes. Yeah. So uh, after uh, this scene with Susan, Peter, and Bobby, we go clubbing. They we go, go clubbing. clubbing. Bobby goes clubbing with uh, Joanne and Larry, and we will remember that yeah. Joanne and Larry are both kind of now going into their fifties. Uh, and they they say this that they're like they're too old for the young people and they're too young for the old people at this point. They're kind of in that awkward in between state. Yeah, and, and this uh, is something that got hinted at in the pot scene, right? They right. were talking about like, well, maybe we're just not here with the kids. You also get a little bit of this with Marta and when we're back on the terrace, where they're like, look at the, what these kids are doing these days, right? right? They're having gay sex. They're fighting the system. Right. They're yeah. having even more gay sex. Would you want to have sex with me, Robert? <laughs> and it's like, <laughs> and here maybe we have. Just a it, right. You have sex with me a little. <laughs> a little. And here we have Joanne have just lay it out. And that's part of why this, this time period is again so important because she's like, we're not of the generation that fought in World War II and we're not of the generation that is dismantling uh, unsuccessfully trying to dismantle everything that's going on right now. Right. We are the people in between and we are important for absolutely no reason. We do nothing. Right. And it's this interesting sort of like, I feel like you see a lot of the same sort of sensibility of how these people feel in like a lot of the seminal like Gen X movies of the 80s and 90s. And sure. those are talking about young people. But these, especially in the case of Joanne, these are older people. She's fully middle-aged. Yeah, she's a Noah Baumbach character. Yeah, and still feeling this way, still feeling very sex lies and videotape that like my I what what the hell am I doing here I'm just sort of drifting around right yeah I'm a freak I'm a weirdo I'm a child I'm a lover I'm a bitch I'm a tease I'm a goddess on my knees <laughs> so you get you get this you get this scene where uh Joanne is very drunk because you quickly learn that what she and Bobby do together is they drink like they like, are yes. consummate yes. drinking buddies and she really just really healthy relationship dynamic that healthy she, relationship. she doesn't healthy. really drink a drop except that when she's with Bobby she gets yeah. fucking shwasted and she when well, he I gets just, sway- like yeah I should just like note that. here uh, that in this production Joanne is played by Barbara Walsh who mm-hmm. does a I think a magnificent oh God. job here's to the girls who stay smart aren't they a gas Rushing to their classes in optical art, wishing it would pass. Another long, exhausting day, another thousand dollars. A matinee, a pinter play, perhaps a piece of Mahler's. I'll drink to that. And one for Mahler. This is like the to be or not to be of American musical theater is Ladies Who Lunch. Yeah. It is impossible to perform it 
without everybody going, ooh, you know, yep. like yeah. this is like yeah. we're all suddenly leaving the theater for a moment to listen to you sing a song and then we'll be back. Yeah. And yeah. Elaine Stritch so deeply owns this role. Yeah. In right. a like very, very real and visceral way. And I have only seen a handful of people do it in a way that like didn't feel like they were in some way calling back. Trying to do Elaine stretch. Right. And this is one of them. Barbara Walsh really does an excellent job. And she comes from, she was the original Trina Mm -hmm. in falsettos. She like, she, she's got chops, she's got energy and she really brings it in this song and takes a different kind of spin to it. And it's worth noting too. It's worth noting that Elaine Stritch struggled with this song too. Famously. Jay Pennebaker made his documentary about the making of the cast album of Company and the whole last half of that movie is like is Elaine Stritch gonna get her shit together enough to sing this song? screaming it! Oh my god. And they had to, they just sent everyone home got the orchestra yeah. recording and had to bring her back the next day. And they're and like, okay, Elaine, just chill out. I loved it. I didn't understand it. You know, when you're a young actress and you're hearing of something you're going to be in, you don't care if you understand it. You don't even question yourself. It's just, wow, this sounds terrific. Because you can't sing the song without explaining it. And, and that's just what made me so crazy at the recording and the fact that I was yelling in the control I just couldn't get it I couldn't get it and for me not to be able to get something is terrifying it just it makes me sick and then the thrill of getting it and then I thought oh that's not as exciting I should be singing with the orchestra and not on a track doesn't make any difference the music was there and I had Hastings right there conducting me and to look in that booth and see Stunheim go, that's it, was just such a thrill for me because, you know, I could have really blown that because if I hadn't done it right up there, you know, taxi, everybody had been out of there saying, oh, she's full of shit. And, oh, I know what could have happened, but it didn't happen that way. And it was on a matinee day, too. So I had to go over to the theater and do two shows. Less is more. I was trying to make this song into, I don't know, Medea, and it wasn't right. The whole thing about this woman is throwaway, and you know, but she's deeply affected by it, but she doesn't want any, it's a complicated thing, but I knew I did it right, because I just did it. I just did it. And what's so funny is that even people who try to do a different interpretation of Joanne, when you hit rise, yep. You just can't oh, sing yeah. it any other way. The placement <laughs> yeah. of where that that vowel yes. is, yes. you have to sound like Elaine Stritch, and yeah. so yep. it, it comes out. You decide in that moment. I really think how angry is Joanne? Like mm, how yeah. much of Joanne is fueled by anger? Yeah. And Barbara Walsh really makes the decision to be like, oh no, she's fueled by rage. Yeah. She is fueled by something. You really see in that performance a moment of like. Oh, like we've met people before who are not okay. You are really not okay. Like you, and it feels very dangerous. The moment, moment I feel she owns is when she says, "Look into their eyes, mm-hmm. and you'll see what yeah. they know." Oh, yeah. That's God. the thing and that tells you dies. she yeah. has taken full ownership because of this song. Yeah. The, the, to the point of of rage, you know, there's different ways that you can play this too. Because "Ladies Who Launch," you know, is a mm-hmm. song about look at all of these, you know, ladies who are 
basically useless, much unlike me. Oh, wait, I'm also depressed. <laughs> I'm the guy who sucks. <laughs> you can choose in that performance how you want to calibrate it in terms yeah. of how much of it is externalized and how much of it is internalized. Yeah. And for, for Barbara Walsh's uh, oh, Joanne, oh. it's entirely internalized. Oh, it's, yeah, she's the one who does it the way I, I personally read the lyrics, which when I'm when I directed it, this is how I directed it. Yeah. All of the women she's singing about are her. Yes. In her <laughs> yeah. different marriages. And That's how I always feel about this. These are the different marriages she had. This was the version of who she was. And when she gets to the end and hears to the girls who just watch, aren't they the best? The look on Barbara Walsh's face is like, where am I? Yeah. Like, is this what I've become? Yeah. And she's so depressed. Mm -hmm. And like you said, like she's turned that anger completely inside on herself. And it yeah. is really astonishing yeah. to watch. And, and with so Elaine's good. original like uh, performance of it, like it's like she's calm until the minute she's not. And then it explodes out of her like a Explo fucking rocket. Yeah. And then she's able to like push it down and then it comes back again. It's like it, it's got that more of a wave. But with Barbara Walsh, it's like it's a slow build mm -hmm. to the point where like when she's screaming rise at you, like you feel like you have to leap out of your chair. Uh, he didn't know Elaine Stritch. Sondheim didn't before this whole thing. And he just he was trying to get like a real handle on her so he could write her an 11 o'clock number because he loved to write numbers for specific actors and he asked George Firth to like so what I mean who is Elaine Stritch like who's Elaine to you and George Firth immediately said I have the perfect story for you I went over to a party at Elaine's place it was midnight everyone there was drunk I got there Elaine got me absolutely plastered 2 a.m. comes around we're all like could barely get off the couch. Elaine comes into the room and says, we're going to a bar. And uh, she leaves the apartment and everybody like leaps out of their chairs. Like, I mean, Elaine Stritch says, we're going to a bar. We're going to a bar. They go into the first bar they find. Elaine Stritch approaches the bartender, slams her fist on the bar and says, give me a bottle of vodka and a floor plan. <laughs> and Sondheim says he wrote the ladies who lunch that night. And there brought it go. in the next day. <laughs> this song is also accompanied by a scene, a long, like two long scenes, right? On each yes. side Very of this song. Scenes. Very yes. long scenes. I mean, this is a huge chunk of the second act of the show. And she is mean <laughs> and she is aggressive and talking about how horrified she is by her husband debasing himself and dancing with these young people. He's also just making it very clear like this marriage isn't ending. I'm not going anywhere. I don't really care what you're going to say to me when you're it's drunk. Right. right. Yeah. That, that, that sequence, like, and I like the way that the Bruce um, Sabbath performs it. Yeah. Of him being just like, I mean, he really, that, that sequence of like, Bobby, I hope you get to meet Joanne someday because she's really mm -hmm. something. Yeah. yeah. And then the look on Barbara Walsh's face when he says that, it really tells you volumes yep. of like, yep. listen, this isn't her. And that's fine. Like she puts this show on when you're around. It's fine. Whatever. I don't care. Right. But I really there wish is she a piece of but, her that know. he doesn't really, I, he does not really appreciate just how like, bad she wants to fuck Bobby actually because she then ends up just straight up propositioning him straight yeah. up just like well, when can we do it we, you can come over to my place tomorrow afternoon yeah Larry this won't be around a lot of time gets, yeah this is the scene that gets absolutely demolished in the gender bent revival because yes. instead of just having Joanne come on to Bobby she propositions Bobby to sleep with her husband oh to do like a cock thing that's weird is just it's so bad <laughs> it's so bad i i was never like i say i've seen this show a thousand times i know the like it's yeah. one of the few shows where I, I know every word of the book pretty much yeah and like so i know what's coming like and i'm like oh this is gonna be fascinating 
I'm going to watch Patty Lapone and Proposition Katrina Link, and it's going to be weird, and it's yeah. going to be like I'm going to this is going to be great. Yeah. Is she going to start singing Omar Sharif just out of sheer nervousness? <laughs> I don't know. Like, what's going to happen? And when she said, like, she's like offering her husband, I went, "Oh, you fucking cowards! Yep. That's yeah, 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 awful. Like, the, oh man, it, it only makes sense if Joanne is the one propositioning, saying, "I want to be with you in that way," because. Then we get an absolutely crucial line. There's my place. It's free tomorrow after two. Larry goes to his gym and then right to the office. <laughs> Don't talk. Don't do your folksy routine with me. You're a terribly attractive man. The kind of man most women want but never seem to get. I'll take care of you. And then Bobby asks the most important question that he has asked through this whole thing, which is the thing that then leads to his discovery of what he really wants. He says... But who will I take care of? And it's fu- it's very interesting because they see it in the very first scene of the show. She says, sometimes I catch Bobby looking and I just look right back. And in this right staging back, specifically, yeah. she just stares Ugh. at him like, like oh, a yeah. vulture. Mm-hmm. Like she contorts her body into this like bird oh, yeah. shape yep. and just peers straight into Bobby's soul. And she's like, I know how to break you out of this. That's the thing is in, when Barbara Walsh does it, I don't know which way she's going to jump. Like I, and that's what I like about it. Yeah. I don't, but I have seen like, and I think the problem with the the rewrite with Patty Lapone offering her husband, the thing that doesn't work in that moment for me is I know she, I don't think she's serious. It feels yeah. like she's trying to get Bobby to admit something. Yeah, there's she's no playing. stakes to it whatsoever because it yeah. involves someone who is not there. Right. It's mm. two people talking about a third person as opposed to two people talking to each other about right. each other. Joanne comes at Bobby so hard. And is like forces him to to say something that yeah. he doesn't mean. Well, did you hear yourself? Did you hear what you just said, kiddo? I didn't mean that. Oh, I just heard a door open that's been stuck a long time. Like I haven't looked well, at all the that. The check is paid. What's wrong? Because I have looked at that. At marriages and all that. And what do you get for it? What do you get? What happened? I just did someone a big favor. Right. We've seen this idea of what he wants, and he wants to have some sort of amalgamation of all of their people where they don't have any of the parts that bother him, but they have all the parts that he likes. Yeah. Right. And here he says, you're going to do everything for me. Well, then who am I? Who's going to be my obligation? Yeah. Who's going to be an imposition on me? All right. of a sudden he realizes that's the thing that he actually needs in yeah. order to be a fully realized human being. Which is also the thing they talk about in Sorry Grateful right up top, right? right. You need that other person who you're grateful for. But it's for. also the thing he's been doing. I mean, the, the great irony in that mm-hmm. moment should be the fact that, like, all you've been this whole time is somebody that people need and want and yeah. have obligations for. The only difference has been you can leave whenever you want. Right. Yeah. yeah. You and they don't, they don't the need you. They just want you. Right. Yeah. And you that's the thing is you need to be needed and you need yeah. to need somebody. It's 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 that two sides. And, of the and coin. people who need people are the luckiest people in the world. And honestly, right. if honestly, just having one person would be such a relief because all the fucking voices in his head <laughs> that are constantly needing him is now yeah. just one. Right? Yeah. It's a real true. voice rather than an imagined one. And, yeah, and right. so what, yeah, yeah. what happens is Bobby says, you know, look, look, no, I don't know what you're trying to get at here. Like, this is all bullshit. I've seen your marriages. I've seen everyone else's right. whole thing. I've seen what all of this looks like. This is all nonsense. And he gets all the voices back in his head, the the answering machine messages, the people calling. And like you can hear in the lyrics that they're like not able to reach him anymore. So he's not calling back anymore. He's not fulfilling these obligations. They're saying, well, where are you? Hey, we're looking. We yeah. want to make sure that you're OK. And he says, stop. He just says right. stop and then ask the real question. I mean, he asked, he finally, for the first time, asks the genuine question 
which is a selfish question, but it's an important one, is what's in it for me? Yeah. What, what do, you, do get? you get? And they and they took that lyric, like you said, Sondheim wrote, um, happily ever after. He, si- he sings these lines, someone to hold someone you too to close, someone to hurt you too deep. Close. Someone to hurt you too deep. Someone to love you too hard. Happily ever after. Someone to need you too much. Someone to read you too well. Someone to bleed you of all the things you don't want to tell. That's happily ever after. Ever, ever, ever after. In hell. Etc., etc. And he says... I don't know. I don't need any of this. And he walks off. And the, the way that ending used to work in Boston is that he'd he would sit down on a park bench and there would be a bunch of other characters played by the same actors. But they're like younger people. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yep. <laughs> and they were like, hey. And he's like, cool. I'm going to say like like he just goes and hangs out with them. Uh, sticking the landing of this show was a big, big part of like, oh, what do we do I mean, with this? Right. How it's do a, we figure this out? Yeah. It's so hard because, again, the thing does not have enough plot to have a plot ending. Mm-hmm. Right. There's no story to wrap up here. There is only a conclusion for the character to draw. But so what's that conclusion? We can get be? to that conclusion musically. And that's exactly yeah. what happens. And that's what they finally they they, after yeah. all of this time. We see Bobby make the choice to go over to that piano that's just been sitting there. He right. lifts up the lid on the keys and he begins to play. He uses those exact same lyrics that were in that cut song. Someone to hold you too close. Someone to hurt you too deep. Someone to sit in your chair. To ruin your sleep. That's true. But there's more than that. Is that all you think there is to it? You've got so many reasons for not being with someone, but Robert, you haven't got one good reason for being alone. Come on, you're onto something, Bobby. You're onto something. We still have the voices, and but we start hearing these more like affirmative messages. Some yes. of the more positive things that he's heard over the course of his life. Yeah. And slowly that lyric becomes not someone too, but somebody. Well, it's the, I somebody love the, do this. The, the beautiful transition of that. I mean, from the little comments yeah. like Adam up and, yeah. you know, how do you know so much about it when you've never been there? Which is a perfect question for him. Mm-hmm. Amy says to him, blow out the candles and make a wish. Want something. You know, like just want something. That's all you mm-hmm. have to do. And he, I mean, I'm going to start crying just talking about it. Yeah. And he really decides, yeah, I want that. I want the things that I say are bad. You know, make me confused, mock me with praise, you know, yeah. let me be used. It is all those wonderful things because he wants to be alive. He has mm-hmm. to be with somebody in that moment. He wants to be alive. And it is a real, I, I, what I love about it, and it shows the answer is so often when you don't know how to end it's not he should end up with Amy. It's not he should create like this quibbling, marry me a little. It's mm-hmm. not he should be like, oh, marriage isn't for me. I'm fine by myself. It's the like, I just, I want something. I, I'm going to make some declarative statements about what I want. Yeah. And if the music's going to be beautiful and then we're done. <laughs> 
Yeah. And that's it. And that's totally enough for this show. It's not enough for every show. Right. It's enough for this show. Yeah. It's like we are here in this moment now. And that's that's enough. I am going to, from this moment on, actively seek things. I'm not going to yeah. drift through life. Yeah. I'm yeah. going to have a function. That's all I need. To, so we, to be we like, have yep. a variation on that earlier scene. He does not go to a park bench and meet some uh, baby boomers and become friends with them. <laughs> uh, instead, we it's it's Robert's birthday. His 35th birthday. Everyone's yeah, right. there ready to surprise him, but he's not there this time. He pulls a goodwill hunting. And they all are, you know, talking and trying to figure out, well, what should we do? They try to make calls and then they're like, well, maybe, yeah, maybe we are just supposed to leave him alone now. Yeah. And we see him blow out the candles. And in this case, the candle is just a spotlight on the front of the stage. And here, in being alive, he steps into that spotlight. Right. And he yes. blows out the light on him. And that's and it. That closes the show. Yeah. You know, setting all of those different weird uh, productions and choices aside. I mean, I, I know, Patrick, that that's something mm -hmm. that uh, you do quite a bit on your show. Uh, you talk we about do. different productions and recording. So why don't you tell us, uh, the listeners a little bit about your podcast? Uh, and then we'll Sure. Wrap up here. Uh, yeah. So the podcast is called The Original Cast and uh, it was the number one performing arts podcast in Uganda last week. Well, all right. Um, yeah, I know. Just one of those things. I don't know how that gets calculated, but it was a fun email <laughs> to receive. Anyway, we talk about original cast albums and the people who love them. And I have a guest on every other week. And we talk about uh, using the a cast album as really a framing device to talk about theater and their life in the theater and, and, and all those wonderful and fun things. AJ was on uh, a couple weeks ago and we talked about High Fidelity Musical, yep. which I still can't say without laughing. Um, <laughs> but we've had a wild variety of, of, of folks on, like I say, from like Broadway people like Liz Calloway and uh, Robbie Rizal has been on and Aaron Albano talking about all kinds of stuff. I, I try to have a, a variety of folks on um, talking about all different kinds of, of cast albums uh, coming up. We have the Scarlet Pimpernel concept album, which you maybe didn't know existed and can't possibly. Oh, I knew. <laughs> <laughs> um, uh, we got an episode of Mac and Mabel coming up, which also John Doyle did a, did an instrument version of, and mm -hmm. I'm sure it didn't make it any better. The goal of the show is to really talk about this wonderful, weird, silly thing called the musical and it's bizarre ancillary thing called the cast album, which is an mm -hmm. independent piece of art inexorably connected to another piece of art, but a thing all by itself. It's Sort of inherent in that to me is the philosophy that there's no such thing as a guilty pleasure. Uh, musicals are inherently silly. And the more you embrace that, the better they get and the the more fun we can all have in our lives mm. and stop being such snobs about about this thing and really get down to the nitty gritty of it. Because once we do that, we create beautiful, brilliant art together. Awesome. We will uh, link to the original cast and also I think to AJ's episode of the original cast uh, in the show yeah. notes. It's a good, if you like, yeah, it's a very good jumping on point cool. for, for you if you're yeah. a listener of, of uh, Worst of All Possible Worlds. It's a good, yeah. good, good spot to start. I had a blast recording that podcast. I mean, it, it really is a tremendous thing that you do, Patrick, and we're so lucky that you got to come on well, and, and talk company. Company is a show about, you know, living a life where you really are actively making choices every day to become something maybe I I don't really know I guess what is being alive to you and how do you see it reflected in company there's a, a great line at the end of act one that Paul says you just see what you look for you know I've seen a lot listen Amy married people are no more marriage than musicians are music the great thing about company is this this show being about an observer watching people go through this experience in very very different ways and coming to the conclusion that 
this is a lot of information and very little of it is helpful that, <laughs> you know, there's a difference between knowing the path and walking the path. Yeah. You, like you can watch people be married all day long, but until you get married, you have no idea what you're talking. Like you have no idea what it's like. And it's so unusual for a show to be about something to really be about a concept. We've all seen like, we've all seen concept musicals that really aren't about anything. This is like, we toss around the phrases like you hear people say things like, well, it's more of a character study or it's more of a meditation on and New York's really a character in the piece. This is one of the few things where all those things are actually true. Yeah. This is yeah. a meditation on the concept of marriage in America and specifically America in 1970. What do people think that means and how at the end it, the decision is reached? It doesn't matter. You've got to, you've got to do it for yourself to know what marriage is actually like yep. the stakes objectively in company are incredibly low. You know, mm -hmm. it's a bunch of married people and it's a guy deciding whether or not to open himself up to the concept of marriage. Not even like, should I get married to this physical person? Right. You know right. What I mean? Just the idea. Like, yeah. Just the idea of marriage. Those stakes are incredibly low, but a musical can elevate those stakes to life and death if it's handled properly. And the great musical that I think you can draw a straight line from company to is strange loop. Mm -hmm. There is no strange loop without company. Absolutely. Yeah. So I think, I think that the 2006 production really brings to the foray to me is everyone's wearing black and you know, that instantly pointed my mind towards funeral. And it got my mind thinking of like, so what is this a funeral for? And I didn't, I, I was really grappling with it. You know, I've been thinking about this for the last couple of months because uh, we knew this episode was coming up. And I didn't really get it until I hung out with my friend over uh, winter break and she just had a kid and, uh, you know, she had been married for a couple years up until that point. And she said that before she had a kid, she made the deliberate choice to mourn the life she had in order to face the future that she would make, which is what I think this show is. It's a funeral for Bobby's old life. It's him finally giving up that part of himself so that he could finally, finally connect with someone on their base level. You you have to mourn stages of your life. You have to let go of things so that you can become the person you were always meant to be. And that process is hard and it takes a long time. And it, it involves removing yourself from potentially toxic relationships, but it's worth it because life is just always better with company. Everybody rock! I'm the worst of all possible AJs. I'm the worst of all possible Bryans. <laughs> and I'm the worst of all possible Joshes. See you next week.